0: Glint of something slightly dangerous and slightly unhinged in his eye. You probably have to
1: have that to face San Ronaldo, and he has done that, and he's got all the cards now. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream, wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember.
0: Effortless shave, magnificent moe.
2: Half past seven Friday morning. A very good morning to you, wherever it is you are at this morning. It's Adrian here and Johnny over there. Good morning to you, Johnny.
0: Good morning, Adrian.
2: How's
3: life? Not too bad. And yourself? Nive Nalehid Arishan. Yeah, it's um uh, I think it was Tommaso Crumman, the island man, he's it's a uh, famous statement about as they left the Blasket Islands, our lights will never be around again. Um I bought it as an ironic thing. About um, yourself. Yeah, because like, um thank God for that. But um yeah, the last man offer he wasn't um, he, he may have passed away before that have you been to the Blaskets yeah I was out there on a stag do funny enough a few years ago how can you be in a stag like, there's, there's, no, there's no there's nothing on oh, the
2: it doesn't, it's, it doesn't, why does everything need to, need to
3: focus on drinking Johnny yeah, this it is a well, friction on you it does. well it's a friction on Irish stags to be fair have you been on a stag that didn't focus on drink we went into Polly Rochets not long afterwards and, <laughs> 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 I'd, I'd love to the do, the do a, uh, I'd love to do a stag in the Blaskets because um, you can stay there but um, limited capacity so I'd have to limit it to four or five cottages it's an amazing experience beautiful the whole Dunquin
2: experience and oh. the ferry out and
3: um, I it's funny like I was I was in the I think I was doing a slot for off the ball actually on, on a Friday in the car outside the Blasket Centre and uh, in Dune Queen and I had to come out of the Blasket Centre and go back in and when I went back in I was on my own and I went into this room and um, where there was kind of like a, it's just like a giant video of the Blaskets and there was yeah. this, this song being played and being sung by this like haunting kind of Irish um, female vocalist. And I'd never heard the song before and I was like, what is that song? Mm. And I, I still can't, every day I think of it over and over. And, um, I, I texted my friend Leonard Barry, he'd be a piper and he said, um, I, I text him like a kind of like a whistled version of it or something because I could only remember bits of it. And I said, what is this song? And he said, like, um, I don't know the name of it, but Seamus Begley sings it. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'll try and... uh Look, look that way. So I went into Nelligan's and Dingle that night and who was there playing but Seamus Begley. No so I asked him, Seamus, what's the name of the song? He said, that, that's a beautiful song, like na Carragabania. So Brookna na um, is the song that was, just literally been in my head ever since. Uh, two songs from the Blaskets, like na Carragabania and Port Nabuki are just unbelievably stunning. Just come from these little islands. And I don't know, when you go there, it's like, um, it's just like humans are, down the list of people who run the island, it's like the seals and the birds and the hares and the rabbits, and um, so I, 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 I find it totally mesmerising. I'd say
2: it's amazing isolation about it. Would you be, mm. Now the man, typically, would you f- see yourself living out there, like sort of?
3: Like it's all well and good, I suppose, when you're out there. We went out there. I've been out there twice now, staying out there, and the last time was there was a bunch of us, and um, you know, I guess, you no know, showers, no kind of running water, no real electricity. Um, could I mean, you? All that stuff. The, the the I spoke to the the the, the two people who'd um, Brock and Claire who'd been the guardians of the island. Brock I think played ice hockey for Canada. I think like he was a really good sportsman. And they they were there for six months and they loved it. Um, but we were probably apt to say like winter would be very very tough. Yeah. Um, and our our boat ride over is supposed to be like fifteen minutes from Dune Queen but the weather was so bad we had to go from dingle and as we're on the boat right over they're like we shouldn't be on this boat at all and it took should have been 40 minutes and took an hour and 40 it oh, was geez. really bad um, so you can you can see the the raw power of the water or whatever. But I would tell anyone to go there, even stunning, for, stunning. Uh, place. It's just, and you just forget everything. Like
2: and as you say, from queen out, it begins that uh, it's that famous photograph that you, yeah. people have seen a million times. You just don't know exactly where it is. That's where it is. That that staircase leading down to the yeah. And away oh yeah, works.
3: that that sleigh head drive in General Coominole Beach and all. It's just like we. We have an amazing country. I think as the years go on, more and more people will want to live here as well, and 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 we we we'll appreciate what we have. We often give out about the the uh, the weather in Ireland and all that, but actually we're not too bad, and we've an amazing place.
2: Uh, and we're not doing too bad. He segues awkwardly into the football last night on the uh, football front, either. Um, I mean, it just felt for large tracks uh, with the Shamrock Rovers game last night in the Conference League. That, like looking at it, it just felt. There's been obviously some criticism of of Stephen Bradley. I sorry, I don't know as a criticism exactly, but certainly comment that, you know, at times that he hasn't gone for it maybe in a way that he might have done and there was the context previously. I don't know, they've been playing they had big games in the League of Ireland. They might have had Shelburne a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday after a Thursday game and like keeping some of the powder dry because the focus is on the League of Ireland. Obviously that shackle has been released now and they're um they're over the line on that front. But still obviously last night there was a rake of players missing. Um, and maybe they're still been minded. We have some of the brighter names, obviously in terms of Jack Byrne and Graham Burke, and they lose a couple of players early in the game as well. And maybe all that didn't help. And for all that, they nearly get over the line. It was, um, it was, it, it. I've said this repeatedly after every game they've played, even the ones where have lost three nil. That it looks like a good standard for them, like they're well able to compete and win at that level.
3: Yeah, the it's it's really this group has been um a bizarre group because you know Gent are the top seeds but they're not really playing like that and they're mm-hmm. they're obviously um second class and Your Gardens who are over's beasts um or rather got a draw against have just um sort of dominated the group and came from behind yesterday yeah, and i, I two think 2-0 ro- down. down against malda i I could see rovers actually like getting a result potentially in your gardens who, who will probably have um you know their, their their foot off the gas a little bit but I, I like I thought last last night was 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 much more like it and the, the 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 contradiction of it all is that it was a dead rubber for rovers yet it was their best performance really mm-hmm. um I think Pico Lopez has been back. I've said this. I just think if you look at his experience and the way he marshals the defence and just like Pico Lopez was playing against Sadio Mane in the African Nations Cup and was not like was not out of place for that first half anyway. Um, I think he might have gone off injured that day, but, um, he did really well and I I think he's been a big loss to Rovers and he's come back now and for the players that they were missing my problem with Rovers in general in Europe is that they've had desperate lack of pace in their team and Neil Ferrugia came on last night he was massively involved in the first goal he just has that extra gear and I think their recruitment wasn't good enough to fight the war on both fronts this year Um, but they won the league which shouldn't be underestimated because Jerry were making a battle of it they won the league and I think they'll have learned lots of lessons for next year they need young players they need faster players um, and they need to be more competitive because I think this group it's it's not it shouldn't have been impossible for them still to be in the running for second place at this stage. Mm.
2: Um, but there's nothing. the thing like have obviously pulled away, but there's nothing between the rest. Of them. Mathematically, it was done even before mm. last night. They weren't going to uh, get out of the group, but like there's nothing between them. Like in a way that no, I know that some of the results suggest. If you just look at the results, you think ah well they were well out of the running, but that's not the truth of it. I I wonder about your point there about the depth of the squad, right? Like if Stephen Bradley has shown that he. When it comes to the heat of... So there was so much celebration, obviously, when they qualified uh, into the group stages. Nationally, everybody was like, Jesus, this is great, brilliant thing for Irish football.
3: But his mindset was never to go after it, really. Like, you know... I don't know. I mean, see, that, that was From the team selections. Well, yeah, the, that wasn't the sound at that to start. And then, um, I, I'm not in... I'm not in training every day with Sean Rovers, and I, d- I don't know what he was seeing to suggest that um, he made what he would probably deem to be the practical call in the sense that we really need to win the league here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so,
2: so what I'm saying is, does that change then, regardless of if he has a little bit more depth um, and maybe a few less injuries probably was an aspect of it as well, does his mindset shift? Because he did make a comment at some point over the last couple of weeks about... Um, We'd be, we would have been far better than the, we would have pulled away in the League of Ireland essentially if we hadn't had the distraction, and I'm, I'm, yes, yeah. I'm, I'm including my own word there. But the, if we hadn't had the group stages, which suggests to me that if it rolls over again next year in the exact same way, that no matter what the depth, he might still go with the same. Methodology.
3: I think he look he look for better players. Like say, fa- like the likes of Liam Burke now, who's linked with them. He did very well for Bowes in Europe last year, um, as did others. Like it's a lot of it is literally speed, in my view. I think yeah. in Europe, if you have a static um, team, which Ro- Rovers, um, even if you look at Spurs, like I saw the last Spurs game I saw was in Old Trafford. Spurs are effectively a counter-attacking team, mm. but they don't have very quick players on the break. So, like if you're a counter-attacking team, um, and as in Europe. If you, you're under the cosh a lot. And let's be honest, Rovers, even last night, they were lucky to get a draw, really. If you look at the chances that they
2: were hanging on at they were hanging
3: time. on because Ferjai got sent off. But like, I, I think he, he's a, he's a lovely player to have in these games because he has that touch of technical quality. Um, but they, you need, you need, you need, like they, Aaron Green was leading the line in some of these games. Like Aaron Green, um, has slowed down a bit because he's getting older. They didn't have pace in midfield. Ferrugia didn't play as much as I would have liked. And again, that might be to do with, He's had terrible injuries with his with his calf, I think, and I think it was his calf so Bradley might be trying to manage him as well. But if they come out of the group, they've gotten two points, they scored a goal, and they were a, a nuisance for Ghent last night in that they hurt their kind of that was a game that Gent really wanted to win. And Rovers were competitive and it was very good to watch. That was much more like it. It wasn't even about like getting to the next stage, it was about being competitive. And that was that's what disappointed me, um, where they kind of half threw in the towel in games and just looked a bit out of their depth, I thought, at times, which um, even, you know, even Dundalk, the Dundalk of the pandemic Europa League, I thought they were more competitive. But they have the, you know, you go to Tallagga, I was in Tala the other night against Pats, like, and they absolutely steamrolled them after going 1-0 down in the place. Like, their are, there are crowds on Friday nights, I think, are averaging over 6,000. Mm. So it's become a real thing and they're going to kick on and, and go forward. Um, and I think, um, Maybe Stephen Bradley had to just prior we have to win the league here for, for the for the money that's involved in potentially getting back to uh, you know the group stages next year and I guess when we do reflect Adrian the fact that, you know, last night was worth more to them than than winning the league. Um, that's one hundred and sixty six K for a draw in Europe. That's nearly four million they've bagged yeah from all I'm the- sure their expenses are are, are are huge now in terms of like mm. chartering planes and, and all of that I'm sure th- they've put out a lot of money as well but like the the prize money in the League of Ireland is still such a such a such an elephant in the room for, for other clubs like I'm a Galway United fan we're you know desperately trying to get out of the first division but our only way of making money is by selling a player and Alex Murphy of Seoul this year or getting into Europe and I mean that's a long way off mm. so I don't know how they're going to solve that
2: uh, we'll talk about United in a bit there's loads coming up on the show today we're with you until uh, 10 o'clock this morning and we've uh, right line up for you and we're going to cover uh, plenty um, across the course of it as well Ronan O'Toole he's the Talton Cup footballer of the year and he's standing by to join us in studio in a few minutes uh, the forward, so he will be with us in a couple of moments time David Snade uh, was at that game in Tala last night so more reflections on that and on Rover season generally and on Stephen Bradley generally um, and we'll touch on Man United as well of course uh, with him we're going to preview uh, the final week End of Women's National League action, and it's a three-horse race as we head down the final straight. And we're going to be joined on the line this morning by two of the managers with an interest in Weckford's uh, Stephen Quinn and Tommy Hewitt from Athlone. So we'll. Uh, Join, be joined with the two lads a little bit later on to get stuck into exactly what's going to happen over the final weekend or at least what they think or hope uh, is going to happen. Alan Quinn will be with us uh, just before nine this morning and lots to talk to him about of course the interprovincials again this weekend. Munster Ulster particularly one to keep an eye on and uh, events too with the contract offers from the RFU in relation to the women's players this week. We'll get Quinny's thoughts on that. Ronan Mullen is going to preview. It's, this one really snuck up with Katie Taylor back in the ring this weekend in Wembley against Karen Carbajal of Argentina in defence of her titles of course so Ronan will bring us uh, the preview of that at about 20 past nine and then Zach Moradi, who was in studio with Nathan last night um, talking about his new book so that's coming your way at half past nine this morning it's nearly a quarter to eight it's Friday morning and good morning to you we gently ease your way into the last day of the week and hopefully you've got good uh, weekend plans no whatever it is you're up to if
3: you are walking or cycling into it's, it's, it's wild book. out there it's
2: wild there's some floods out there as well so we go easy on the roads uh, drop us a message whatever it is you're at wherever it is you're at this morning whatever it is you're up to drop us a message on whatever channel you're watching or listening to us on um, and United um, obviously had a 3-0 win over Sheriff last night and it was sort of like he puts Ronaldo in the team which I thought have to say was a real show of lack of ego on Ten Hag's part because it's been a very public falling out every time there's a press conference or post-match no matter if he's involved or not uh, Ten Hag has been asked about Ronaldo and it must be I mean incredibly tough position for him to be in in a lot of ways but I did feel that like uh, it was such a show of lack of ego on Ten Hag's part they've apparently had this showdown talks showdown talks um, during the week where you know um, I'm sure that from Ten Hag's point of view he's sitting Ronaldo down and saying listen pal you know you're a big name you're one of the greatest players of all time you can't do that it's the second time you've done it if you do it again you're out of here I presume that's the context of the conversation but to be able to have that chat to be able to publicly put him back in the team to get him back to some sort of a level where he's interested in playing I mean looking at him last night there were times where you might question that but he's like he's sniffing in around the goal he gets his goal last night and I think the whole thing reflects really well on Ten Hag
3: yeah I think he's been brilliant and I I have to say, no, I didn't really dive much into the Ronaldo thing uh, coming here this morning, um, but I imagine there's an element of I'm playing you against Sheriff as a sort of a... That's your level now as well. A punishment-like? Uh, yeah, it's like I'm playing mm-hmm. you in a, Man United were 1-10 to 10 to win that game, so they were always going to win. It took, they took their time to take the leads, um, but obviously it, was, it wasn't a dead rubber, but it was a game they were going to win. I don't see him playing much in the league at all. I think... Um, you know if you watch man like we, we we might talk about the the schedule and how difficult it is for for teams to like keep up this um, momentum and the the, the energy that th- these games demand but like Man United say I watched them against Spurs that was the last time I saw them they were excellent They've, they're de- dependent on a real vibrant kind of attack with pace Ronaldo is so far off that mm-hmm. I don't see him featuring at all in the league really henceforth like I think mm-hmm. maybe he'll be his maybe he'll play them in the last Europa League game um, I'm not sure who their last game is they're obviously through um, and uh yeah, I'd say he's. I'd say he's done in 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 all. But Ten Hag is just making kind of making appearances in terms of playing him in this game because um, you can't do what he did, and he, he it's a, it's a, a situation he has to manage. But I'd say privately, he's totally done.
2: Brian Kerr was talking about it on the TV last night, and it's just like it's. Uh, it's that point about the conversation about Ronaldo coming up at every hand's turn. It's this stench that, like, Ten Hag, mm. on your point, I'm sure he he wants him out the gap. Like, and yeah. by all accounts, Ronaldo wants out. Um, so, and, well, it was chat about Napoli, and now it seems like that's not happening. Mm. So, I mean, I, you know, he, there was this thing about him wanting Champions League football, but, like, he's not, he ain't getting it at Man he he United. So, so, would football? you not just... But I'm league? not going
3: to get it, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Asks, uh, his problem, I think, is realising his mortality here, and uh, he's probably struggling with that.
2: Yeah, we I know. think that is a, that is a good point. He, he always played with this like chip on his shoulder a little mm. bit, like he was never the most joy as footballer necessarily around the pitch in a way that Messi would generally play with a bit of a sort of a smile in his
3: face. But
2: geez, looking at him last night, he was just... just The, the joy of football seems to be gone from him entirely. I, I, I want to overstate the case because there were obviously moments within that game, but like even from his teammates' point of view, it seems like everybody around him is sort of walking on eggshells a little bit and it's like, let's try and get the ball to Ronaldo and if he's not happy because he's missed, then we're all upset. It does feel a bit like he is just this stench around the place from the manager and the Look and teammates season
3: compared to Rashford trying mm. to play around I am not entirely blame Ronaldo my my big problem with Ronaldo last season was that um, if you on the face of it he didn't he did a decent season all of united's offensive players seemed to just like all collectively bomb um, for whatever reason, and th- the stench was probably not just this season. It, it, I think there was probably a stench around him last season. And um, for whatever reason, it, it, it you know it looks a terrible sign. And really, in hindsight, I do you remember Joe Malloy called it at the time? It's like this lad won't be able to press. It's not going to work. When I think most of us were saying, well, he will get goals and all that. And probably there's that. uh Element of nostalgia as well, which I'm definitely guilty of, and I think football fans are, where they're like, you want you want to go back to when football was pure, or at least it was in your head, and Ronaldo and Fergie were around, and um, you know, it just didn't work.
2: No, it didn't, and like, and it, it's it, not going to work. No, it, it does. It doesn't appear so at this stage, and we'll see how it uh, how it plays out over the last few weeks. Uh, I should mention as well, by the way, um, we had Latte Larry onto us a couple of weeks ago. Last week, when Ireland, uh, no was it last week when Ireland qualified for the World Cup? Hmm. Weeks a long time in the sports broadcasting in the cricket. Yeah, that was, was last last, week? last, last uh, three, Friday morning they beat the West yeah. Indies. Yeah, it was, was you're absolutely week. right because we were in the other studio. Um, so, laddie, Larry, and everybody else else's interested in the cricket this morning: Ireland versus Afghanistan at the T Twenty World Cup in Melbourne, abandoned in the last hour just to rent a rain. Uh, Johnny mentioned it's been pretty brutal here. You don't really expect it this time of the year in Australia, I must well, say. But this, it's is, this
3: hasn't like called a draw, and we're going to march on out to Monday against Australia. Th- th- this stuff isn't like people just aren't reporting this. But Australia is getting ridiculous weather patterns now, where you're getting like 40 degrees up the north and torrential rain, like biblical rain. Where the Australian Army is basically saying our job now is just to deal with climate-related issues. Like so, it's uh, it's not surprising, but like long may it continue for Ireland. Obviously, just to get our games called off and. Well,
2: we're could end up winning the World Cup yeah. the way with this the more rain, game, so right. we
3: could end up sort of w- winning this. Thing. Mm, um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's great crack beating England regardless. Anyway, well it, they would have had a
2: really decent. It is disappointing because they would have had a really decent shot at, at beating Afghanistan and put themselves in a really strong yeah, position yeah. to you know take would have taken potentially something like it's not it wasn't a gimme by any stretch. Mm. I think they played them during the year and yeah they're closely matched yeah. three two whatever so it was it would have been tight but it would have put them in if they could have had a shot at that could have got over the line they would have been just about position mm. against Australia. Um, so look, and there's a lot of. Uh uh, naval gazing going on in England, English cricket as well. At the minute, given obviously what happened uh, as well there during the week, um, we did want to mention something else as well. Uh, this morning, we've been—it's a topic we've touched on a lot over the last number of months. We'll touch on it again, of no doubt, as well over the next three weeks in the lead into the World Cup and hopefully beyond that as well. Uh, but there were some events that caught our eye. We'd sort of tried to tease somebody up to come on and join us to talk about it, and it? just for various reasons, just didn't work. But uh, we did want to uh, make mention of them and not let the morning go by without it um, in relation. To to Qatar and the World Cup Um, we wanted to make sure that there was an awareness around some of these things that have happened this week um, that you know when you're watching the games in a few weeks or you've seen Gary Neville's mini-doc on Qatar and on the World Cup and it's a lot of information to take in and it's really hard to know which way is up like You know, is it right to tune in, is it right to enjoy the games Um, is it right to point out Qatar's shortcomings when a lot of us uh, globally and including in this country we don't have our own house in order so is it right to do those things, fair questions but we just wanted to present a couple of facts from stuff that had happened and emerged from Qatar over the last week Um, the main one was in relation to Human Rights Watch uh, that accused Qatar of uh, arbitrarily arresting and abusing LGBTQ plus people. It said that it identified six cases of severe and repeated beatings. Uh, local reports are that those numbers, that six, is indeed actually much higher. Five cases of sexual harassment in police custody since 2019, uh, between 2019 and this year. And Qatar's security forces have arrested people in public based on their gender expression and mandated transgender women to attend conversion therapy sessions as a condition of their release, so there are some some things that we thought was worth bringing your uh, to your attention this morning, um, and worth pointing out that same sex sexual conduct between men remains illegal in Qatar. Not, however, between women. And an official statement from Qatar saying they deny those accusations. They say they don't operate or they don't license uh, conversion centres, saying that the clinic uh, reference, treat, referenced treats people for behavioural conditions. I was emerged from uh, Qatar during the week. Uh, also, had the British Foreign Secretary James Cleverly saying that gay fans going uh, to Qatar should be respectful of local laws, show a little bit of flex you
3: and compromise. Just be a bit less gay.
2: James Cleverly, as aptly named as Prosperous in Kildare, uh, with fairly um, What's unusual wrong with com- comments. I mean, slightly, slightly ironic. Uh, The Australian national team, of course, is the last point to mention, backed by their FA, uh, did one of the bravest things, I think. I don't know if it goes far enough, but it was certainly one of the bravest things that's been done so far. And they became the first team to publicly, uh, publicly criticize Qatar's human rights record. They released a video referencing the treatment of migrant workers and the treatment of uh, LGBTQ plus people uh, this week. And a penny for the thoughts of Qatar's chief sports officer at its National Academy this week, uh, their former teammate, Tim Cahill. A few things that have happened this week, and we just wanted to bring to your attention. Yeah, uh, they,
3: well, uh, it, it will be just intriguing if this, this whole Qatar nonsense, like what happens when the World Cup starts, and um, will there be a bit like the uh, you know the protests you get now from... The extinction rebellion stuff will just will there be protests over there that are kind of gonna attract attention and be something of what they might see as sideshow, or will it become a problem for the authorities? Because we all know this should not be happening. This World Cup should not be in Qatar for a myriad of reasons. I think um, that
2: the one of the biggest things, Johnny, would be when the World Cup is over. Like mm-hmm. and I said that this conversation shouldn't exist in isolation because we need to be looking at our own sort of systems and structures and how we, how yeah. fairly we treat people or otherwise. Absolutely. And we're not alone in that regard and neither are Qatar but now that the world cup is there it deserves conversation and don't let anybody tell you it doesn't but what i would say is that it's going to be as good as it gets now it can't be it's not going to get any better than this like once the circus moves out of town in a couple of months time once the world cup is done what happens then
3: mm, like i mean it's not that long ago that we were uh, <laughs> Basically, a Catholic state as well, where, you know, the Catholic Church practically governs the norms in this country and homosexuality wasn't legal until, what, uh, 35 years ago or something like that. So we can engage in what about you here, but, um, what, what was the logic beyond money of bringing a, you know, there's so many things wrong with it. Like, and I, I find, forget about, like, the, the obvious issues with human rights, which are the biggest issue. Like, look, look at the, the structure of the, Football calendar now, how they've had to, you know, have a World Cup this time of year. They're making demands of players that I think are utterly absurd. And the legacy of it, aging. like, what is the point putting a World Cup in a place that is full of, like, it's what, three million people, full of expats? There's not going to be any legacy from this World Cup we're talking about. If you want to bring the World Cup to the Middle East, I think that's a noble ambition, albeit it'd be hard to find any regime that you wouldn't find a major problem with. But, like, Qatar, like, a tiny country that is going to, what, rip up some of these stadia. Like, there's going to be no legacy here. Whatsoever beyond um, the amount of people who died in 50 degree heat building the bloody things. yeah, yeah um, so It's lovely. sick. It's sick. And um, football, I, I personally, it's one World Cup I really have no interest in. And I mean that like, and, and I know we'll say, Oh, we'll watch the games. Like, I will not be watching. I'll watch some of it, but I've no real interest in that World Cup. And mm. you got to realize, um, football is football and there are other issues
2: yeah and look at it it's hard and, and we're not there I don't, there, I don't if know answer, answer, if there, to, I'd probably well, well that's the thing you'd be yeah. much more <clears throat> of a conversation about it at that point right it is uh, 5 to 8 it's Friday morning you're watching o to b AM uh, JP Wright says Ronaldo has to accept that the body won't do what the brain wants anymore and I'm not even sure about the last part of that JP I must admit but uh, thanks for the comment this morning you are watching o to Be AM and we are with you uh, with Gillette in association with Movember, Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo. And you can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Um, and yeah, we've run our tools down by, by the way, and we're going to talk GA very shortly. But a reminder before all of that, Regatta Great Outdoors are launching their first new Freddie Flint- Flintoff collection uh, this autumn. To celebrate, we have a 100 euro Regatta voucher to give away every day. One lucky winner is going to get that souped up to 500 euro. So, to be able to chance of winning, uh, all you have to do is like and retweet our Regatta Great Outdoors social post. It's on Twitter today. It's on our main Twitter page, off the ball. Remember, shop the Freddie Flintoff collection in store at Regatta Great Outdoors or online at regatta.ie. And as I said up next, it's the Talton Cup Player of the Year Ronan to live in studio. First of all, the lads in the news round last night speculating about just how many All-Stars uh, David Clifford is going to hoover up.
0: David Clifford... Age 23 has just won his fourth award. Now, Spillane has nine. Pat Spillane has nine. So let's say at, 20, at 23, Clifford's going to play for another, we say 12 years. Mm-hmm. You accept that? How many All Stars will he win in 12 years? Injury He's got 11. got four.
4: I was definitely going to win another.
0: Let's say nine. Nine at 12? Seven, I'm going to say. Okay. We'll so get to 11. 11 All Stars. 11 All Stars is like
4: the, the, the over underline. And you wouldn't be surprised. Probably. It is still, and I assume he's going to get the Footballer of the Year award tomorrow night because it's uh, two Galway players up with him and McClifford was so. Yeah. His genius is such that he had an unbelievable All-Ireland final and it's just sort of taken for granted. Like, there's never been a build-up about a player like David Clifford that was so understated ahead of the All-Ireland final that he'd never won an All-Ireland yet nobody's going, oh, has to prove it on a big occasion. No. Oh, you know It's going to be a different challenge for him. It's just assumed that he would turn up and he did? Correctly, as it turned out, yeah. No,
0: there was no box to be ticked. No, can he do it on the big occasion? And, uh, well, Shane Walsh, I guess, you know, the. it's a strange thing. So Clifford's going to be uh, an icon, I suppose, of the game, ultimately. For Shane Walsh, you'd love to chat to him and, and get, like, a really honest, how are you feeling about it? Because if that game goes the other way, you get Footballer of the Year, you're a legend forever. You know, it's it's like such a... One of the, it's one of the it's maybe top five greatest all-around performances mm. of all time because they win um, whereas over time now it will unfortunately be forgotten as good as it was and there's a long winter to think about
4: that isn't there there is that awkwardness when I say Thomas Sullivan has to be in there, there you go. well who are you taking out I didn't want to ask
2: yeah that is the uh, the ultimate question alright that's the lads on the news round last night it's almost 8 o'clock and I'm delighted to say we're joined in studio by the Talton Cup player of the Air Westmeads Meads Ronan O'Toole Ronan good morning to you good morning lads thanks for having me thanks a for coming in
5: no problem at all congratulations My pleasure thank you what a year Seriously strong Westmead team to the show all of Listen,
2: a maroon and white Johnny can we, can we say maroon and Deep white maroon across and the white. board <laughs> um, uh, congrats what a year topped off by the, uh, the the award obviously last Friday how did you
5: find out about it yeah it was gas one there um, one of the lads from, <laughs> from Sligo he was fitting the Sligo lads in that got the award and he said did you get one and I didn't know at all and uh, he said, "Check your email." That's what they found out. So I went scrolling down through the email. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, and hoping, hoping there was an email, and then found it. Obviously, and yeah, the spam section probably. Is spam well. this section. Isn't, yeah, yeah, this so. isn't real. Uh.
2: <laughs> who's the first person you see the email? Who's the first person you tell?
5: Uh, parents. Yeah, the the joy in their face when you tell them is is nice. You know, um, it's for them for the. The club obviously, and obviously you the the county as well. But yeah, family, family what first is what suppose. did
2: they say when you were, uh, you were
5: like, "What oh, is this thing?" <laughs> I don't know if I said it like that. I nah, know my dad was my dad was always he was asking me, uh, "Is there an award? Is there all start for this?" And yeah. I was kind of playing it off. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think and, somebody uh, mentioned it at some point. He kept asking, "When is that? When is that?" Yeah. I had my mum actually was she, she lucky enough got to go. She was not in Mexico for three weeks, so she came off the off the flight um, from LA. She had a connecting flight, so luckily enough, she made it from That's straight that. from the airport uh, to Crow Park for the award. So that was nice that she got to make it as well.
2: Is the um, the team WhatsApp group does it go from sort of like the Westmead group like tumbleweed to suddenly uh, is, it, is it lit the, up
5: or the what happens? Our group, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're all together in that. Um, well, all, the, all the lads were, were sending messages congratulating us, so that was nice. You know, you're representing them as well. Um, as I said, you know, without them, it's the old cliche. Without them, I wouldn't have been there. It was just lucky enough. I, I got one in the end. Mm. Yeah.
3: There, there is something special about that team as well. Like just the all stars and seeing going from scanning from top to bottom and seeing the different county colours. Like, and I don't know, it's obviously novel, but
5: in your respect, but like, there's a lot of tradition there yeah I know yeah it's um, like it was nice that there was there was six Westmead representing and obviously Jack Cooney was there and um, our SNC Joan Angle who's done a lot for us over the years um, he got to come as well on the night so it was nice that we were all together there Um Oh, it was nearly like a Westmead table at one stage.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't mingle with anybody else. Yeah. What um, did you talk to Jack after after it was announced, or how did that work?
5: Yeah, he actually he actually sent me the the job. I missed a call off him, and he sent me the job application for for what he was going to do. And I I thought he was asking me, "Did I want this job?" <laughs> yeah. I was uh, I'm pretty pretty settling my job, Jack. And then he called me and he announced it. And uh, you know, it was nearly emotional enough. He's been a big father figure for me. Um, over the four years so yeah I was devastated and I know his passion for, for Westmead football like if you've a chat with Jack Cooney Westmead is mentioned within about 30 seconds mm. Um, so is it I know it was a tough decision for him but um, you know he'll do great in that role as well he leaves no stern, stone unturned in any any role he takes so I'm sure they've got a good one with Jack when you say father figure what does that mean like in practical terms just his man management skills to me personally and to all the lads um, were brilliant. Um, he's kind of the arm around the shoulder uh, when you need it, and then he's he's the kick up the backside as well um, he? when he knows you're, when you're not at it. Um, so, in, in that sense, he was brilliant. He was always there for a chat, and even I was, was chanting about the awards, he said his door is always open. Do you know? Mm. Um, shows the character kind of in the man. That
2: you mentioned, that we had a man a few weeks ago, and we were talking
5: about his new role,
2: and we were talking about obviously the year that's been and all that stuff, and he was talking about that, that Westmead aspect of things, and it's not something here that often from the so-called weaker counties. There tends to be. I'm constantly on about the elitism and GEA and you know these are conversations that tend to happen around the Kerry and Donegal's but it was really encouraging to hear him talk about you know we're Westmead people and the importance of having Westmead people in the backroom team and the importance of leaving the Westmead
5: jersey in a better place is that? Yeah that was something that was evident you know even before games we'd all have to put on the jersey together um, and he'd say like Do you know Westmead people have come and gone this is your time this is respect the jersey Kind of thing. Um, he had this little uh, abbreviation or acronym um, that he used. It was called Four RV, and he used to put it under each message. It was um, why do you play? So we had a team meeting at the start of the year, and and it was why do you play? And the the three words that came out it was family, opportunity, and respect or recognition. And um, he would put that under every message. Um, he sent, and it was something that would get the the brain reset before he go out to a big game and and say why do you play like do you know. Mm. Um, it was Gee, it, that's that's it was a nice touch. Was that the the David? Did you do some work with David Cherokee Is that right? was is yeah. that, that where that
2: came from, or yeah. was that?
5: Yeah, uh, no, that's I think that's all Jack. Um, okay. I, I'm, not <laughs> sure. no, I'm not sure now. I'm not sure. I don't want to take any credit. Yeah, I don't want to her. take any credit. But uh, I, you'll have to ask Jack and Dave on that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to claim that? and what what? so
2: David Cherokee, people, some people are familiar with he's done some work around theming it's become a big uh, buzzword around sports and he's done work with uh, with oh, Gara Gar- Gar and Larry yeah. and and um, it's become a thing and I only somebody mentioned to me during the week that he was in with you guys as well
5: this year he was in with our guys so um, they, the one he used with us was Katie Taylor um, I know Jack was referencing it before um, and there would, he would before it was the Talton Cup I think it started and it was like our journey was similar to Katie Taylor's journey Um, you get knocked down and you you have to come back up again and that was kind of like us Um, when we lost Kildare um, do you know uh, I think we took the Tuesday night off after we lost that and we all came in together as a group and we were like we're going to give this a good route and that was kind of similar to the Katie Taylor uh, story when she lost one of her fights and she had to come back um, and he would do various clips um, the work he did was fantastic Um so yeah, that was that was the team we kind of had as Westmead was was Taylor. What,
3: what what was the,
5: the was that
3: the collective like pan last year to the Talshen Cup? Because like you know, I mentioned Zach Moradi. Like Zach Moradi's point in Crow Park, I think playing the Leach from Colours, playing Harland is would mean a lot more to me than like someone from Kilkenny in some respects. Where you want to see the so called weaker counties progress. Like how how did everyone take to the Talshen Cup and the opportunities that? Because you know, there's
5: a lot of scepticism as well. Yeah no I suppose and I just mentioned it there um like we Jack was to choose night off after we lost Kildare just kind of reset the bodies and we came in on Thursday and we had a group huddle and he and he went through the reasons why um winning this would be so good and it, I think it's evident enough in right. the scenes of Monagar um Did you need convincing? No I didn't anyways there was there was silver, silverware on the line um two days in Crow Park on the line and four four matches like as GA players you want to play more games like we played six six championship games this year that's the most I think I think the max I played was maybe four in a, in a season before that um, Covid year one do you know um, lost Dublin and then the other years were two or three so we played six this year and you could see in our game like we we got progressively better as the mm. games went on um, and it was better cohesion like mm. do you know you're training more with the forwards even like um Myself, uh, Lorcan and Luke and and John would be the, the was the four main up there, and you could see our our movement patterns. We were um, there was better cohesion with us, um, so yeah, that's that's why there was buy in. You know, and um, we wanted to play more games and grow mm. as a team and exposure to younger lads as well. Do you know, a lot of um, lads got their first out in Crow Park this year. Um, first championship game this year. Robbie Ford, Nigel Hart, Charlie Drum start against Carlow full back when Kevin Maguire was was out, did brilliantly. Um, so, like, those lads got a lot of experience in the year as well.
2: We won't know the value, like, it does, it, it's very obvious to say that, like, the value of that should be that the gap starts to close between uh, Westmeath and, let's say, in, in, in terms of Leinster. There was only three points in the Kildare match, but in reality, it felt like it, it might have been a little bit more. What's your. Sense of uh, because I was interested when Jack was on with us before he talked about like Leinster being uh, realistic um, or 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 an openly spoken about ambition for the team and I was a bit struck by it I have to say because I didn't um, because Dublin are here and then everybody else is sort of down here a little bit certainly in terms of Leinster do do you think a run like that can help um, yeah close that gap to Dublin and
5: is Leinster a um, realistic ambition for you next year? To be honest, Leinster was never really talked about prior to last year, um, as an ambition to win it. We took it game by game, but after, um before this year we, we wanted to give it a good crack. Now mm-hmm. we fell short of that. Um but yeah, hopefully the bit of experience um from last year will help um close that gap. Um, I suppose you have to be ambitious as a as an athlete um, to hopefully want to um lift that Laney Cup. But uh, yeah, we'll see what the next few seasons bring
2: and the, the Kildare game was interesting to hear you talk about that because like, it was only was it three points in it in the end yeah, was it like so it, we in the dressing room afterwards it was like I presume you were pretty devastated about the whole thing it takes a while
5: before you start to get your head around well there's something else to play for here almost yeah I was just devastated about the performance um, to be honest we probably let in a cheap enough goal um, at the start. Like I think we were we were one two up to maybe one or two points. Ten seconds in, you're like, "This is this yeah, this, this, is, start, this, yeah. this is going well here." Um, yeah, luckily enough. Uh, was that a training ground move or was that? <laughs> no. no, where was the clear defense? I'm wondering. I don't know. Wally just saw a gap and <laughs> yeah. Took, They're dealing with a future all
3: star here, like you know.
5: <laughs> yeah, he took flight, but yeah, you know, I was just um, Can devastated. you go ahead too early in him, like. You know, you look at yeah, Pats I went out some
3: Patskin's Pat's went ahead after four yeah. minutes the other night and they were battered afterwards. Like and I can you is it possible to I know it's a cliche, but like did you get a false sense of oh my god,
5: what's happening here? I don't think so in that game, but I agree with your point in that it can happen in games. When you when you get a lead, um you can you can tend to sit off, hold on to the ball a little bit longer mm. and um yeah, you um you might regret that. Uh
3: yeah. so when you come in after the Kildare game then do you start doubting the whole like process, so to
5: speak, because you're just saying that wasn't our performance. Like why? Yeah, I was I was I was devastated after mm-hmm. the Kildare game. Um I needed that I needed that Tuesday off just to mm-hmm. get the head right because we gave so much with it. Um I was actually just coming back from injury, so I would have been kinda half injured playing the long for game, so I was feeling fresh enough after that Um, so that's why it was devastating for me because I was just back fit. I would have played injured nearly I didn't really train during the league Um, Mm. I just played games and then we played our last game in Belfast in Antrim and then I would have got a went to Cap Hospital and got a cortisone injection Uh, I'd bit of osteitis pubis in my groin so I needed needed a rest on that Mm. so it was frustrating in the sense that I was just back feeling great and then boom you're 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 sank back down. What age are you? At 25, you had to think about that. And do
2: you, are it feels like you're, you've never, you've never been, you know, the run of games helps, but that, that, um, you know, your progression has been steady, steady building and, and like to become a point where you're obviously picking up this award and uh, been one of the most important players in that team now.
5: Yeah, I suppose, well, fight. I think I'm coming into my sixth year now. Um, so yeah I, I like Lomans was a big help for me as well, mm. you know, having a great club team there, um I would have went in. we like my first year in Lomans oh. we won the championship, and then we did three in a row, like i remember I remember going in the monday into the into the Monday club and saying, "This is great, like this is easy you know three in a row, but then it happened uh, every year
2: yeah
5: like it's, uh. <laughs> uh, we found out well, it doesn't happen every year, um but yeah, the club was a big one for me um how um, how they progressed me in a way, and how they took me under the wing a lot. Of the older lads, and then even in Westmead, like there's a lot of lads there that would be giving you a few nuggets there. Jerry Egan as well, and obviously John, um, in the club. Um,
2: what's it give- like? What's it like training with him week in week out? He's like he doesn't get spoken about often enough. But he's, he's Michael Murphy esque, I think, mm. in his in his uh, style of play and his, certainly his influence on that team.
5: Ah, yeah, he's great. There's a bit. Of, be a bit of wrestling now, I'd say, with the back I'd say the fullbacks don't <laughs> like him. Right. Yeah. Uh, when he doesn't get the ball, I think they know about it rather than uh, yeah. the forwards. But no, he's great. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Uh, teammate and, and captain for Lomans as well. You know, yeah. huge servant over the years. I, don't, I think this is like his 13th season or something with yeah. Westmead, which is crazy. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's been a huge servant. Funny you and say when
3: you, 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 missed the, so you missed, you know, you missed much of the league in terms of training. Like, do you think that? the counties get it right in terms of the amount of training that club
5: and county players do or could less be more? It was probably my fault in, in a sense um, I didn't tell the management I want. I always wanted to play out there like I was training through an eagle um, and it got progressively worse but I think we I think it was the 9th of December we lost Port Harrington, I had one or two weeks break and, and it was straight back into county and mm. probably a, a bit of rest w- would have been no harm but it, I would take that onus on me to to say mm-hmm. that rather than the management knowing how I am. Um I always like training, but when you're carrying an eagle you probably shouldn't be.
2: What um you mentioned about some of the players giving you a few hints and tips and stuff. How
5: much work do you do with Desi on the art of being a forward? Yeah, so there's a there's a split there. John Keane would take the backs and Desi would take the forwards, so there's always a bit of mm-hmm. competition there. But no, Desi's great, like he came in this year. And like instantly, everyone know, And I would say I'm speaking on behalf of all the team there. Like we just sat back and we're just like, wow, right, really? This lad knows his stuff. Um, in terms of his what? just the way he was talking in um, in games and doing the right things, you know, keeping it. I, I remember he said something just do the basics right and the rest will come. Like and that's mm-hmm. something I always kind of take into big games now. Um, if you're ever nervous, kind of just just do the basics right, good start, mm-hmm. and then and then the rest will. Um, the rest will come after that kinda. Would you be nervous? No, I'm actually I'm not I'm alright for that. Yeah. Um listen to a few tunes and the on the way up I'm the, the the DJ as you call it, in the dressing room. So There we go. No yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, a bit of music. No. Uh no, I'm not too bad for nerves, thankfully enough. Just I kinda just keep the same routine so mm. um
2: is he is he working with you on the specific detail of stuff like where you're one on one and you're probably teaching him a thing or two about the sidestep. But okay. outside of that are you uh, are you is he is he working on the specific detail of like yeah, how detailed. I, I is he think
5: got? he works more on groups. Right. Um I, obviously if you have any questions, he's open always. But um as a forward unit I think more so. And like this year I think was the most evident of that where I was I used to be kind of more so uh um outer 11 would do most of my work in the, the middle third where I found myself myself and John maybe um, switching between 11 and 14 um, more so this year and even Luke as well like Luke can play in 11 and then mm. you've always Lorcan, um with the depth in there so I think as a unit he brought more structure to us um, especially from a forwards perspective um, knowing where to be at the right times um, that was something I definitely took. It uh, was a great takeaway this year, anyways. Yeah,
2: we'll, we'll see how he goes in the main job, obviously, you now over yeah. the next few years as yeah, well. We will indeed. I look forward to watching on. Pleasure chatting to you over the last 20 minutes. Thanks, Emily, for coming in. Thank you, no problem. Thanks, for that. Talented Cup Player of the Year, runner on a tool from Westmead. It's quarter past eight. You're watching OTBM. Delighted to have you with us. We've lots to come. we're going to talk football next at the uh, football writer, David Snade in studio. OTB. 16 minutes past eight. You are watching 03:00 <laughs> oh, a.m. That, that wasn't awesome no, it t- didn't. No, it didn't. Uh, what, what you, uh, we don't need. We can move on from that one. David Snage, football writer of the 42. Good morning to you. Good morning. What's look, your actual, you What's
3: your actual title? I'm very well. Pardon? <laughs> what's your actual title? Um,
1: yeah. I don't know. Employed. Oh yeah. That, in <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Was last night? We were out there last night, were you? No, I wasn't. I was doing something else. I was actually working on a feature. Believe it or not, um, That's his new different, job, something different, different. Watch, uh, watch the space, yeah. But um, no, I watched the match. Yeah,
2: was last night a like evidence that Rover should have gone for it a bit more? And I know obviously some of the bigger names weren't weren't there. And it's the constant after every game we find ourselves talking about it. But yeah. like last night, they bank more money than they win for winning the the League of Ireland season. The League of Ireland's wrapped up, and I know there was a couple of injuries and stuff like that. But like was last night? Ah, oh, that's great and and they got the job done and again they showed they were at that level or was it like oh, could we just have done this a little bit more no, during the stages I
1: think there's an element to both both aspects of that my own reading of it just from speaking to people at Rovers and then even just listening to Stephen Bradley this week after obviously they won the league Look, we were out on um, Broadstone, or Broadstone Ro- Roadstone, uh, the day after he won it and he made the point that he was like this is something playing in Europe that should, the club shouldn't have to wait another 10-11 years for mm and then that kind of ties in from what you're hearing from when you speak to people because it is very much a case of Rawers putting plans in place here mm. like it's not a case of right, they qualify for Europe they have to go hell for letter and lash into it because they're never going to be here again and you never know when it's going to happen again there's very much a sense that this is something that's part of it's a word that was mocked when Bradley Force came in but the process mm. like this is what they're building towards to be on a regular basis so while I would say the one game would be moulded away when I thought you know what uh, that's when he actually threw the towel in a little bit and I accepted you know what yeah. the league was more important and
3: that was the term
1: I used Shelburne on the yeah. Sunday
3: was it? Was yeah, that the week which yeah. like, on- they won with the last minute winner
1: yeah and like to be honest like fans fans I'd say would be looking at that thinking you know what there should have been maybe a stronger team out there but that t- it ties in with where Rovers are trying to go at the moment whereby it was like this isn't going to be the only time we're going to be here. Like mm. Their thinking and their pro- thought process is, but winning the league and the champions' path and the way that helps in terms of the season and all the rest of it, that they'll be in the Conference League again next year. Mm. They're, they're not going to be banking on that, obviously, but that's what they're aiming towards. That's what they're building towards. And it's that it's that kind of thought process of, Do you know what, yeah, we've qualified, that's great, mm. but this is still part of the early stages of what their plan is, a medium to long-term plan of continued... European football
2: So to project forward into that because there was a quote from him during the week where he said if you take the group st- this is in the context of the League of Ireland if you take the group stages out of it the Conference League uh, were hard to beat I took
1: that as a if they get back into it again next year they may end up just doing the same thing again they, Well I don't know if, I, I don't think they should if they do because it, it, the money that they've made this year and even when you tie into say money that would have come in say from Gavin Bazoon who sailed the add-ons and, and mm. the, the money that would come in there like, I think there's a couple of million coming their way from that as well like Andy Lyons leaving going to Blackpool there's a few more, a few more quid coming in there as well then you've got the natural that's investment that's already in the club Um, obviously with Dermot Desmond and how they've kind of set up is there as well and 6000 dollars a week every Friday night and that's it as well if like, you see the what the average crowd is and like they they have to not an element of massive rebuilding but they do have to add in a couple of bodies in terms of freshening up the squad and that's going to be needed they've already worked on that I mean, there's a couple maybe three already down the line that will be pretty much sorted relatively soon you would imagine but again it just comes into that it seems to be coming into that point where it's kind of hard it's kind of hard I don't mean this in a bad way but like Rovers are just acting like a proper professional club in terms of actual forward planning mm-hmm. that yeah they have a bit of success and it's not right what do we do here now how do we what, how do we keep this going? Like what they're doing now is it's within the framework and it's within the plan that they've what they've put in place, you know. And like John Johnny was saying there about the six thousand, like every every other League of Ireland fan would probably not like the fact that Rawlers are doing this. But what Rawlers are doing between connecting with a fan base and everything with the youth structures and with how they now do actually focus on that first team, it's the perfect model. Mm-hmm. It really is. And when you tie in that they've got a manager who's not even forty; he's 37 years old, and he's already won three, t- three league titles in that's a row. Crazy. Already has European experience, and like, whether we're, interest yeah, and that and listen, that's that's the only element that this I suppose, way, that could maybe throw things off course with Rawwers is, is obviously when other people come in. But
3: we're we're hard on ourselves as well in the league of Ireland, right? Achmed. You know, we're, but, but sometimes we're too hard on ourselves in the sense that like the 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 economic suicide and. Basket case reality of the League of Ireland is gone. Like, and this is a league where there's no prize money. And, you know, we, we, you know, we get kind of miffed by comments about like from England about how we are relative to England England is full of clubs who are run as economic basket cases mm. right or losing so much money going out of business the League of Ireland in general is in a good place and Rovers are an example of that and you have like if you've Dermot Desmond investing in something let's be honest here he sees something that that's worth investing in you have like uh, you, and even if when you have billionaire owners like there are three billionaire, if not four billionaire owners in the league now those clubs being Derry City and Galway United are still being run prudently, and even Galway United this season, our average crowd is going to be over two thousand uh, a week in the First Division, and uh, these clubs are being run like sensibly, despite the fact that we've no prize money come from
1: above. And like, you say that about being hard on ourselves, and you kind of get the sense like if you think of what if you think of Stephen Bradley. I'm just mentioning this, so I just I genuinely think that his kind of story is one of the great Irish football stories at the moment in terms of. Like, I remember doing a feature with him for four four two with him and Stephen McPhail, um a few years ago, and he told the story when he was coming through and like he spoke with us before how he was like lauded as a as a young player, everyone wanted him. But like Alex Ferguson coming to his house in Tally and arriving, and he's out like he's late coming in because he's playing football on the street with his mates, or whatever. And he goes for for dinner in town with Alex Ferguson, and then he comes back and eventually he signs for Arsenal, and he's spoken about obviously the attack and everything that happened, but how he was able to rebuild his life after that. When you think about how. Could have easily gone a completely different way. What
3: if Rovers sacked? But, as well? the, but that's this the is other the element thing. to it. It's like, like
1: he, he, but he comes back and all, he comes back and plays in the league and all, and then like he retires early. He didn't have to. He really retired because mm. he just had fallen out with love of playing football. Really, he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do. Mm. And then just that, like he took over. He took over as a caretaker over 31 years of age when Rovers were a bit of a basket case. They really were. Like they were short. It was short hand. They were second managers. Like there was no. There didn't seem to be any kind of full on plan. And he helped drive it at that age and has now started delivering success and like, I genuinely think he just de- deserves tremendous amount of respect for what he has done in that. And then when you throw in this year, the emotion behind everything, and he's spoken about his son and how he'd been diagnosed with, with leukaemia and like, he was out talking with that to us on, on Tuesday and like literally I was sitting beside him, it like, tears me eyes listening mm. to him because like, you're thinking about what he's gone through and, and how he's describing and stuff and it's just it's hard to comprehend. Genuinely hard to comprehend how he's got through this year. I have no idea how. And well, I have. It's because of his family and it's because of the staff. He was A- like and the players the well.
3: Like I think the players really like they they were men and like they were good people. They were like we're going to do this for him and yeah. we're going to rally around him. And like I think I have to do law the Rovers board when they lost five two against Dundalk. If you canvassed oh, a thousand people across Ireland, they're like, Bradley should go, it's not working out. But Just, you had the banner, didn't they? Remember, you this, had the banner at Yeah, the banner, it's time is up, whatever. They stuck with him. And I think he was a young manager, he was with young coaching staff. And from my experience of having dealt with them, I think they've learned on the job as well, as you would expect. And Rovers. I think Rovers, like, they lost their riches from 2011. They basically squandered that. And they realize now that we're going to do this a little bit longer term. And they had Stephen Kenny. They had uh, Pat Fenlon in. They had Trevor Crawley in. And Yeah, Brian Laws, <laughs> And I was like, we need to give this man time. And I'm glad they did because this was a story that never happened. All these titles could be four in a row. Never happened if they sacked him and most people probably would have said they should have they stuck
1: with him you talking about the players like I just thought it was the way he was describing it, the image of if Pico Lopez gave Josh uh, Stephen <laughs> Barry's son his jersey having <laughs> one of the games and when he got because he, he went to Talca Park during the match during the week just because he didn't want to know what was going on between Derry and Sligo but then like Josh was wearing and he was wearing a Pico Lopez's jersey and he he's like a nightdress on him and he's sleeping on it, and sleeping in it and that just kind of sums up the kind of sense that's actually at that club at the moment. You know, there's a, a lovely there story online as well. Yeah,
2: that, that story that you wrote uh, during mm. the week with him from that uh, from that piece, and it really encompasses everything you're talking about about how he's he was at Talca Park, and his wife yeah. brings him to give him the news, and the how outspoken he's been with the playing group of uh, about Josh and about the condition, and that in itself was geez, I, it yeah. made me stop a second and go, wow, that, I, I was surprised that he would be as.
1: Place the story as central to what was going on as he has done? I suppose you think about it like it just kind of plays into how his life has been in terms of what's some of the stuff that's happened to him and by speaking about stuff that's obviously clearly worked for him you know and mm-hmm. just that modern day is the, the modern day manager or coach where you connect with your players on two levels remember the whole thing of you don't want to get too close to your players you don't be seen as their best mate and obviously he's not all oh, their best mate because he has to make tough decisions but the fact he's able to keep that group of players seemingly very content with the of rotation that happens it just shows you that he isn't they're not doing it just because of success there like it's clearly because they actually buy into what he's doing and they respect them as a person, and that just seems to be one of the core kind of pillars of how he goes about things. Is that it's not right if you have a problem you box it off, just concentrate on football. Maybe that could have been there in early stages. And as Johnny was saying, you learn the job and you realise how players take really. Mm. But it just seems to be that openness is what's driving it. Really, he was like, he was confident to start of the season. I said, how how are you keeping all these lads happy? Like, and he yeah. said, it's not my
3: job to keep them happy and i was like yeah you're actually right here but they have to want to play for you it <laughs> but, <that's it. laughs> then, but like it's not my my role is not keeping players happy my role is to win get things for shamrock rovers yeah, and, and whatever way he's it up, managed it maybe keeping them happy is is not exactly representing what's going on, but
2: the point is, like, times. they can obviously and the not, unhappiness can lead to not losing yeah, the dressing room and all that. And the, really like
3: is. Rovers have complex individuals in that dressing room, like any other dressing room, maybe more than other dressing rooms. And somehow, if they're not happy, they've won the league again in a canter, and um, they've they've done it. Like and you know the the players that who else are they going to bring in and where are they going to go because uh, they will raise their standards next season again
1: oh, they will it's natural and it was hard was telling though when, when, when Stephen Bradley was asked about has everything that's happened this year with his family and all the rest maybe he said if something was to come up abroad be it England or elsewhere would that not would that basically rule it out and he, he said no listen if something comes up you obviously have to mm. you have to kind of look at it and, and, kind of di- and see where you stand with it but like that's the, that, that would be the big thing and in terms of and you would imagine Rovers let's be honest like they would have had that sense where because obviously Dermot Desmond got involved in that during the summer when Lincoln were coming in for, for Stephen Bradley and helped, helped just kind of ease the situation a little bit and that kind of convinced them to stay but they, you would think that's kind of giving them that little bit of a jolt to say well hold on you need to have some kind of succession plan in place here in terms of having some people to come in because it is very much a case that it's a kind of collaborative effort at Rovers as well obviously Bradley is the main man but you've got Stephen McPhail there who's the technical director but he's on the bench for every game as well it's not as if he's just maybe yeah. the boards man and is like separate things he would be very much intricate yeah, he's massively Brad, important yeah and obviously Glenn Crown, Glenn Crown as well so it's it, that element that's the element like, like any club that's successful especially uh The level where ours are at, where, yeah, within the League of Ireland, they're the main main team at the moment, but in the field chain, the greater scheme of things, it wouldn't take. It would take a, like a club to come in and get them and they could have done. It's not as if this is the job of a of a lifetime where you can never turn it down. You know what I mean. Final thing on that is that just I, I think the six thousand that Rovers are getting Friday night. I think
3: a lot of this is to do with the fact that it's very good football to watch. Like it's actually entertaining. It's a nice stadium. It's good football to watch. And League of Ireland managers aren't going to England anymore. League of Ireland managers have to pit themselves against Stephen uh, Bradley, Stephen O'Donnell, Damien Duff. Um, Rory Higgins Tim Clancy John Russell and all these other managers and it's a league that has its own like micro kind of quality about it now where this is our league and we have to better each other and we're not really worried
1: about England as much anymore and I hope that's uh, a good thing it's mad as well if Colin Healy be coming up as a manager yeah, of Corks yeah, he's and he's one of the older lads now he's 42 mm-hmm. he has, you know I mean? he has like to like sign a new contract like, so
3: it's going to be class it. like, it's yeah. going to be practically full time and some of the personalities involved Stephen Kenny
2: was in the stands last night who was he Who? Was, who and he had a little notepad out who was he checking it? well he's Let's been on it.
1: record and you kind of it's, it's, it's always interesting with Stephen Kenny I think because you kind of know where his thinking is at because he'll throw names at you when like, you wouldn't have even expected them or you haven't kind of maybe let him down a certain path or tried to say well get his, your thoughts on a certain player but Neil Faduja is the one he keeps on going back to and you you got glimpses of it last night where just that powerful running probably the one thing that Rovers do lack at that level, you were saying at the start, of the Adrian and bill they've shown that they're well capable, and they have been. It's just been maybe just that little bit of pace, a little bit of power that they're just lacking, maybe at a very at that level, and um, to kind of the final tours especially to actually kind of cut kind of through teams and Farrouja is the one I think I'm delighted like, for him because I genuinely oh, talk, the I he's thought his, had his career well. was
3: done yeah. I actually did and, and did. he
1: qualifies for Malta as well and France mm-hmm. and, and France as well I think he has a better chance of life for Malta he has a better chance of life for Malta
3: nothing France, that, uh, so. and he nothing. got like 600 in the league as well nothing that
2: excites us more than uh, like oh gee he could be going somewhere else mm-hmm. we'll get, let's lock him down we've great track record of course I'd no, be a bit
1: of a hypocrite now he plays a couple of times for Malta and then declares for Ireland but I think he will be the one in terms of and even that position because he can play you could play as that kind of maybe like left wing back and the reason why I say Faruja and more so because I actually asked Kenny this about Andy Lyons around the time he was going to Blackpool because Andy Lyons obviously had a great kind of season with, um, with Rovers, and he actually said now Faruja is the one yeah. so he'd be one I would say yeah. that if um, especially with the friendlies coming up maybe he could be in with a show if he can stay fit hopefully left wing
3: back is still kind of yeah. up for grabs
2: Ronaldo's back he's fully into the team ethic It's everything is turning up uh, Millhouse. is that right? I oh, know. Well, the fans are singing Viva Ronaldo
1: last night, aren't they? What's Probably, this yeah. celebration all about? I don't know. I don't know. Is he kind of sleeping. He, he did it against Everton. Yeah. Italy, so is he kind of just that? Is he at peace at where his career is? Door? gone? is gone. Yeah. He's at peace, is that it? Is that uh, well, I don't think he's at I peace mean. at where his career is at, whatever <laughs> it was the last week or so, it wouldn't have happened, but uh, it's just pantomime stuff, really, isn't it? Mm. It's. Um, they, get, they feel like they're getting fixed, though. Yeah, no, this, uh, but actually, and, and in fairness, it's actually the only piece for the, at the weekend for the 42 on this because I just thought, remember when Keane was talking about this on Sunday with Sky, and it felt as if the world was falling in. He was like, "It was like, you know what? He just, just has to go now. When he said that against City, that this is going to be a problem, and it ha- clearly it ha- has been. But it felt as if he's never going to play for United again. This is an outrage. Gary Neville is in, throwing his um, usual stuff in. And then, but by the middle, by, by the Monday, he's back training. Hmm like he's at the like he's all smaller Ten Hag training with the open training session before then he starts and he scores so in less than a week Ten Hag has managed to actually like just totally squash this Master stroke. genuinely I think and listen listen, you're not in the dressing room we don't know what even Ten Hag's thinking is and some of the well, stuff he that's being said
3: he? Ronaldo Ronaldo's done like I mean he's playing against Sheriff so he's like yeah that's great yeah you would
1: really imagine grand. so like he wanted to leave during the summer United were happy for him to go and the offers didn't come like you know and like the fact that the offers didn't come and they weren't able to get rid of him in good time to actually try and find any kind of replacement, Tanaga's just shown what most top managers would be where you have that sense of this is what you want to do but then an element of pragmatism has to come into it where you deal with the situation. Mm. That's what he's been doing and... I just, I just, I just thought it was gas when Keane threw through, through Paul skulls under the bus when he oh. got off about... <laughs> <laughs> quietly going about his day, and suddenly. Yes. <laughs> but then, but then, the reason why, and does this book? Have you read the new book about um, the ninety nine treble season that Matt Dickinson has done? Yeah, no. and I just thought it was good timing because uh, Paul Fennessy with the forty two had done an interview with, with Dickinson about it, and he was saying how for Kane, like this whole thing of you know the great team spirit. It's not as if for all. Like a brotherhood here where you it's just about what you want to win on the pitch mm. and that like when he, when he threw skulls under the bus but then I went back to that time and you go through what was happening at United when Ferguson had kind of said he was floating he was going to leave and, all, and United had won three league titles in a row but then totally absolutely capitulated the next season and were an absolute nightmare of a club they were all over the place mm. you know with your son Veron and Van Nistelrooy and stuff and you see what Keane is saying around that time and then you, what you're saying about Ronaldo now when you're like is this the same person uh, it's totally. and look it's, we're, we're, it's we're, very telly, like, well, and I mean. we're
2: also all contradictions it, like, at some point or oh, another and if you're on it. the TV all the time saying stuff I yeah, wouldn't, yeah, I'd I not I'd hate to be re- yeah. yeah. re- re- rewinding this true, show right. from uh especially from an Johnny could you imagine yeah. <laughs> Johnny's best bits on there would amazing on that note, Cosmo Kramer on YouTube says we need a weekly Ward and chatting League of Ireland segment so I'm on for it um thanks a for coming in
1: no oh, brother pleasure
2: to be here David Snade and that's a really good uh, read by the way if you're looking for something that sums up Shamrock Grover's season check out uh, David's writing on Stephen Bradley from during the week on the 42.ie it is uh, 8.34 you're watching OTB AM and I uh, want to remind you that Braeburn Coffee uh, is the official coffee partner of OTB and each week we're giving one uh, lucky viewer a 100 euro uh, voucher to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you you can just check out our uh, Twitter feed add off the ball uh, like and retweet our Braeburn Competition post there and you're going to be in the draw. Braeburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road and it's available at Apple Green today. And a reminder too that the Creuselock Community Support Fund has been established by the Irish Red Cross. It's in collaboration with Unpost and Apple Green to provide rapid and long-term assistance to the Creuselock community and all donations to that fund will be uh, dedicated to support those who've been bereaved um, and injured, made homeless or left without an income as a result of the tragedy there in the last... Few weeks. So, in the days and weeks ahead, the Irish Red Cross are going to work with the community of Creaselot to ensure that all those contributions are going to be used as effectively as needed, and assisting those affected by the incident. And you can donate now uh, to the Creaselot Community Support Fund. Up next at eight thirty-five. Uh, we're going to be joined by the Athlone Town Manager Tommy Hewitt and Wexford Youth uh, Manager Stephen Quinn as we continue the build up to the final round of the Women's National League uh, this weekend. But right now, Piedmont star Karen Duggan on last night's Off the Ball explaining that she would love a cameo with Ireland at next year's World Cup, wouldn't we all?
4: Uh, before you go, I, I don't want to split up the dream team, the Koi Geek dream team, but Vera Powell's obviously been talking, she's getting a lot of calls. Unsurprisingly, over the last few weeks, you know, people with Irish passports who are suddenly discovering they have an Irish granny. What about retired stars who are thinking, you know what, maybe now's the time to come back?
6: Oh, I think my internet connection's about to drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I'll be in Australia. Put it that way, it'll probably be, uh, I don't know, it'll definitely be as a Uh, supporter. You said probably, probably. No, it'll definitely be, that was a a slip of the tongue. I'll be there as a supporter. Um, Like, I'm the same, I was the same as everyone when they qualified. Like, there was, I was so excited to go training um, the next day after. It just kind of, I don't know, it just, brought about something in everyone that they wanted to just get out and enjoy football because it, it was just such a phenomenal moment them qualifying Um and of course, it's everyone's dream to play in a World Cup. But there's, like I said, a lot of young talent coming through um, that definitely needs to be to be looked at. But okay. yeah, we won't be we won't be splitting up the Gig Dream Team anytime soon.
4: Availability is the best ability, isn't it? And listen, if you're down there a couple of weeks in advance as a late injury, you don't want all expensive bringing somebody out.
6: You can yeah, look, I'll be over there, there. Is all I'm saying. It's I will fine. be over there. I'll pack my shin guards just in case.
2: Good stuff, Karen Duggan on with uh, Nathan last night. It is 8.36, you're watching OTPAM and we've loads still to come. Alan Quinlan is going to be on with us in a little bit and uh, we'll talk about uh, the weekend's rugby, get his thoughts as well on those developments of the RFU and the women's teams, uh, team in relation to the contracts but uh, before all of that, it's the final weekend of uh, Women's National League action it's a three horse race heading into the weekend. Shells on top 57 points Wexf- ahead of their trip to Wexford who are on 56 points and then Athlone hoping for a draw there and they are on 55 points so does I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by the Wexford manager Stephen Quinn ahead of their trip to, uh, to uh, their game against Shells and the at manager Tommy Hewitt ahead of their trip to Bowles. Morning, lads. Morning. Morning, Adrian. I hope I've captured that uh, as succinctly as I possibly could. Short story, Stephen, for you to begin with. It's in your hands.
7: Yeah, look, it's if you told us at the start of the season um, what way the season would pan out with different things um, that you had more as kind of a cup final in Ferry Carrick on the last day of the season, um, you were told that, so that's what we have now tomorrow. We have to go win the game, so that's where our preparation have been, and we're looking forward to Saturday.
2: You've been very close, obviously, over the last few years, but I don't think—correct me if I'm wrong—that you've had it in your hands going into the last uh, round of games.
7: No, like even look back to last year, we we actually it's the same thing. Really, we played Shell's last game of the season, and we had them in the cup final the the week after, but we were knocked out probably two weeks before that. We lost to Galway so it didn't really mean anything um, it was 3-2 on the night Shells went 3-0 up and we kind of fought back a little bit just out of I suppose pride Like, but it was not we had that feeling going to Toilkut that oh, the season was over we are just kind of looking after for work for the for the cup final Like, and, and now looking and at loan beat us in a, in a cup semi-final so you don't have that cushion to fall back on now so it's all or nothing on Saturday and the league is massive for us and, and a lot of girls have won this league and know that it brings Champions League football so um, so There's a lot of a uh, lot of um, girls looking forward to this match, and it's going to be a really good game between two good, good teams. i you actually privately happy, Stephen that a draw won't
3: necessarily do. Where it's like, no, just win the game.
7: Yeah, sometimes that can be. You can have that in the back of your mind, and and even I suppose last weekend as well. Like, if you come into the last two games, we needed four points. Um, so we got a point last week against against um peas. Like, and when the game comes to the end and it's 3 all, and there's a couple of minutes left and you're thinking, do we go and push on to win it or do we just not lose it? Um, so that is in your mind, but now that's gone out of your mind now going for Saturday when you know there's three pints so you're going to have to go after them, you're going to have to go and score goals and you're going to have to try and be better in both boxes defensively and, and attacked than shells, which is no mean task. Have you been driving that home this week about the, the nature of it being in your hands and the nature of needing the win? Yeah, look, and it's... But I'm, I'm relatively new into the management, I suppose, took over last year, halfway through, and I've worked with Tom closely over the last three years, and it's a different kind of feeling going into the, the cup final is great, you know, that's there at the end of the season, like, but the league is, is a fair slog, it's 27 games, and it's, we've ups, we've downs, we've players that are injured, now we've two players, like Ellen got injured probably three, four weeks ago, and we've, Dela Daugherty okay, that dislocated her knee on Saturday, so both of them are out this weekend, and, it's just kind of like that kind of season where there's been ups and downs and it's every team um, have it like so. It's it's going to be tough. Um, we're under no illusions, but everyone's really, really excited and the trend this week was good apart from the monsoon on Tuesday night. Um, we had a good training session last night and we're all ready to go for Saturday.
2: Yeah, well Tommy on the other line is uh, hoping that the two you play out uh, a neat draw and opens the door for him momentum uh, Tommy is I mean very much it's a big thing in sport and very much in your favour at the minute because you've beaten Galway treated United Wexford shells the last four weeks running
8: yeah um, look it's it's a game that all we can do is concentrate and try and win our own game and what will be will be down in Wexford and you know two superb teams going at it down there and I'm predicting there will be a winner so look we, we as Stephen said, alluded to there, we have the added bonus of a cup final to look after or look forward to the week the week after, and for even that loan to be in this at this stage of the season is, is phenomenal from our point of view. But you know, to be up there with the likes of Wexford and Shelbourne coming into this stage of the season is just fantastic for us.
2: Will you talk to us a little bit about that, Tommy? Because, like, I have watched some uh, some games in TG Carr over the last few weeks. One of them was the 2-0 win, at Loan's 2-0 win over, over Shells a few weeks back and, like, playing some really good football, doing it. Looked really comfortable in that, in that company. For a team that didn't exist a few years ago, for a team that were 50 points off Shells last year, how it all come together so quickly?
8: Yeah, I think a small bit of continuity and consistency within, within the group and... You know, I said to myself last year after going to the places like Wexford and losing seven-one, and you know, did we want to be going around this season looking to, you know, to pick up them type of results? No, we didn't. So we we got together as a group, we set goals and targets, and we've we've achieved most of them so far. And you know, the girls have been fantastic. And you know, we're a young side, and we look at Wexford the last number of years. You know, I remember Kylie Murphy doing an interview saying that when they came into the league, they they took some hammerings too, and look where they are now. And we aspire to be like the team like Wexford and you know Shelburne and, and the girls are just they're solely driven and you know they want to achieve at this level and no bigger stage in the next two weeks.
3: It must feel Tommy, like I know um your your own playing career obviously um didn't materialize to the extent it might have because of injury and all that um and you've seen the highs and lows of the League of Ireland, but this must feel like in terms of the women's game in Ireland, you're somewhere at the start of a revolution here collectively.
8: Yeah, look, it's a special time for women's football, obviously, with the with senior ladies qualifying for the World Cup. And as I said, our own league, since I've come into it the last three or four years, you know, it's, it's going from strength to strength. And um, I've seen a massive, massive improvement. I'm sure Stephen and the guys will echo that. And Anderden coaching the players, the professionalism, even though they're not professional, you know, by, by payment or any of that, but by the way, the, the players act professionally and the games. You know, any of my friends that go to games now is just fantastic. That, you know, they wouldn't they have went to a women's game five or six years ago and now they just can't get enough of it. They're always wondering when is their next game and they're travelling to away games. And that can only, you know, be, be, be um, I suppose, going forward. That can only stand to the to the game here in Ireland.
3: I, I think, Stephen, I think just that point as well, Tommy makes it. Go um, United has taken over the running of the women's team next year and I've seen from other clubs that... It's almost like um, you get a bigger family, and everyone is now kind of under the same umbrella. But it also opper- offers opportunities. We'll say for the likes of, like we've had Donna Reardon, who was the you know the going item manager coach and the women Alan Murphy's. You, you get these people who kind of go between, and it offers coaching opportunities. And um, you know, it's uh, I imagine it's it's very exciting to be part of that to see where it might go.
7: Yeah, definitely. And I can. Even three years ago, when I came into this league, and and to, to now the the level has definitely increased. Be a coach preparation, the amount of effort that goes into to match days, and, and like Tommy said, these guys are not professional footballers. Like, but everything structure clubs are trying to do is try and give them as close as possible to that, and be it nutritionists, S and C coaches, access to gyms, GPSs. So as much as we can, we're prep, prepping these players. And then away from the pitch because you like even with us we train in Carlo and through the Thursday nights and then it's a bit of a travel for some players like so mm. two other nights of the week the girls are gymming and John doing other programs as well so taking the, a little bit off the road like so these the girls are probably going out of the seven days we're so going five days at least like committed to the to this and never any complaints never anything and that's hopefully I know I heard the conversation with with Joe and maybe in the line down there's part contracts maybe semi semi-pro contracts and stuff like that, but um, you know the girls deserve that. But at the moment, these girls are are at the highest level, and um, putting in a massive amount of work, and getting get the rewards this time of season, especially when you're in contention for stuff. But like that, the <coughs> sorry, the the managers you come across, everyone is just so, so like how we always say there's no secrets in football. Like so, you have a chat with anyone really, and and we're all we're all like the managers together are, are really kind of we chat to each other. Don't, not before matches but after the matches like that and um, it's great to see everyone progressing through like and there's some really good coaches and managers in this league now and, and there's probably a lot more to come in now over the next couple of years
3: Can I just get you on that so you're, you're referencing a really lovely interview Joey Malone did and again speaking about the connection Joey Malone was the manager of Go United when we won essentially the only trophy we ever won we we're talking about which is the FI Cup in 1991 Former, former Athlone manager former I'll, tell you there, yeah. um, so you're going back 31 yeah. years but just seeing on that this is something now I wasn't really aware of in terms of the and again we can relate to this in the League of Ireland but we're now in terms of the men's game we're now getting proper money for players I would argue this is something in terms of the semi-professional aspect of the game that could have massive benefits going forward if you get it right
7: yeah look you've said at the end of your your question there if we get it right mm. um, there's, there's a lot to go in there's a lot of stuff like it's to say that we should get the players on semi-pro contracts and that like it's just like you would have looked at Galway come out with a with a figure that they they had to the running costs for this for this year, and that's why they maybe set back from it. Like and that's that's around most clubs. Like and you're, when you're talking about paying players again, you're adding another probably doubling that. Um. So like, not every club is not going to be able to do that. And then what'll happen is. Some clubs will have it and some clubs won't, like, and it'll become a monopoly with players and stuff. And that's just we just don't want to happen because so Do you
3: it's, essentially need FEI help then? Like, because, we, I mean, Adrian and I speaking about Shamrock Rovers getting more for the point in the third tier of, um, you know, European combat than they will for win the league. So, you know, th- th- there's a massive reward here, obviously, but, I mean, let's be honest, it's very hard to fund um, wages at this level. So, how does it work?
6: Yeah,
7: look, this funding is going to have to come from somewhere because. Clubs were run by volunteers and were, we have sponsors and, and you know yourself if anyone's been involved as a volunteer and you're getting sponsorship from whatever level of football it is it's very tough and players like Weave Energia now come in and the players don't pay for subs which probably three or four years ago they would have to pay four or five hundred euro to pay in this league Like so every year we're progressing and girls are getting expenses now and Every year we're trying to progress, progress like so. It's just about the, the body of money that's going to be needed to, to really push on the game for every club. Because what you don't want to have, we have 10 clubs, maybe 11 next year. And then over the next two or three years, clubs start dropping away. And then the league doesn't come as competitive as it is now. Like, and I think everyone wants to be competitive. And I'm definitely all for it. The players definitely deserve um, to be paid for what they're doing and commitment. I just want to make sure that the structure of everything is in place and like things have gone past before in different leagues and stuff, that you just don't want this to come in for a year or two, and then just um, just stops, and then we take ten steps backwards after taking fifteen forward, like over the last couple of years. Like so, it's it's very important for for me. That's my own personal opinion. Hmm. Um, it's not the opinion of Wexford or anything else. It's my personal opinion. I I want to see the growth of the women's game in in Ireland more than anyone. But I just want to make sure everything's put in place properly before we jump ahead with it. Um, but like I said, the girls definitely deserve this. What would you say, Tommy?
8: Yeah, I just like to echo what Stephen's saying there look there's a lot of moving parts obviously to have to you know to take place over the next couple of seasons and we throw out the word, you know, semi professional very easy and you see a lot of clubs, even the men's side of it, you know, who struggled over the last number of years, you know, when it comes down to paying money to players and contracts and that kind of stuff. But we we definitely need to do something, you know, fairly soon to stop our better players wanting to go to different leagues and different countries. To become professional or semi professional, and um, but that's the nature of football, it's the nature of sport, and you know, the funding side of it is going to be very, very hard to come by. You know, if, if we all know what happened over the recent last number of years in terms of funding, you know, from the FBI and Sports Ireland and this kind of stuff, so you know, it's, it's going to be very hard. And um, but the girls do definitely deserve, you know, to be semi professional and to get paid for, for what they're doing, but. As Stephen said, "It has to be right. That's the key. And again, that's my my own opinion. Um, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, in the next number of years, we'll see we'll see that coming on board.
2: It would help, uh, Stephen. Obviously, one of the things that would help, certainly in the short term, like obviously, if, the, if players are going to be lost to other leagues, some sort of trickle down payment system for the likes of Rihanna Jarrett. Obviously, that would have uh, left from your own your own side. I know Ella Malloy. Obviously, would get a lot of interest as well. As you said, she's out injured at the minute, but that might be a." I mean, I know it'll be a threat, clearly, to the uh, foundation of the league, but if it is to happen, some sort of a um, trickle-down payment system would help.
7: Yeah, definitely. Look, and if you're listening to, like, even you're probably looking back and, and the seven players that did leave shelburne like, they're they're all top players. Like, in Piemont, have lost a couple of players. and other clubs, the lost one, maybe two, um, all really top players. Like, and, and what you don't want to come to case, like, a lot of times, even when the transfer window's open in England and... They can come in and just take. Don't have conversations with the players before, without even talking to the club, and don't just get a phone call or a text and say that the players are gone? Like so, you just don't want that to happen. I think then once that happens, and there's probably clubs are getting a little bit of compensation around it. It actually might keep the players within the, within the hmm. the league as well, because I don't think they're going over and getting massive money either. Like, um, but the Lord professional football and probably facility wise and everything over there is probably a step maybe two steps above what we what we have in, in Ireland here at the moment and that's just the, the nature of most of them clubs being um partnered in with with, with men's clubs that are in first divisions or or um, league ones or premier division clubs like so they have the facilities and everything at their disposal like but like so sometimes you look at maybe the level of football like can we aspire to get that level of football especially maybe the the second tier in in, in English football and John, if we can play the players something amount and they can stay around locally um, I think that would really help but like that you said if if there was some sort of compensation but like that to be the league has to go professional for that to happen like and it's just like like Tommy said it's a lot of moving parts and you see now even the, the conversations that IRFU are having with the
6: mm.
7: players trying to get professional like and you're seeing the amount of money they're offering and different things like and it's it's, it's not going down really too well like so like they're a massive organization and it's, it's probably a smaller of players like that that you're trying to so. just just briefly brief interesting brief. to see how that comes about like and what comes of that as well going forward just
3: briefly that seems so like I I've done work for the Greyhound Board and and horse racing Ireland in recent months right so I'm just just put that out there um but like I speak to people in in the gambling industry um some betting shops say in Britain now the percentage of money betting that shop on horse racing would be say eight to ten percent right so basically the, the betting on sport now is becoming more so football than horse racing yes you know you have the government money from the gambling industry which is colossal Um Effectively, in an anachronistic sense, going to the two sports on which people used to bet, but not on which they bet now. So what the lads are talking about here is, could you at least not get the government to start um, putting money into supporting clubs' academies and supporting, like, getting facilities and getting structures in place such that we can keep players and coaches in this country and build a product from within and reflect the fact that a lot of gambling money is coming from football now and it's not coming from the other sports because um, I think on an, on an academy level I've seen myself You know, even even in Longford the other night to see the reception that the young kids got, to, I think it was under 17s who won their uh, tier 3 league and they, the, to, they were paraded on the pitch the, for Longford to run an academy is desperately tough and then to run like uh, the women's side of it as well, I think the government really really needs to look at this and get a proper football industry in this country, we have the money but we don't have
7: what we could have Yeah definitely, I would. My background would be coming from uh, like a volunteer coach and I would work with the association as a development officer and then we're left at and managing Westford Juice at the moment. Like, so I can see that, that point. like, And a lot of times the money funnels up to the top part of the, the game where a lot of times it's... And we've made a massive effort in Westford this year and, and over the last two years we, we had an academy of 13s and 15s running in, in SCTU Carlo and, and this year now we've run a 15s academy team that are actually going over to Celtic Next week, we've created a partnership with Celtics that are going over, training and playing over there. So it's something that we've really... If you thought, talked about Wexford Jutes before I came in here, there was probably only the 17s team and the 19s that are developing. And most clubs will have the 17s and 19s, but like that academy is very, very important. You're getting these girls in at 12, 11, 12, in your 13s academy, and they're getting to know what Wexford Jutes are about. Um, they're getting a feel for it. And hopefully, in the next five or six years, they're going to have a lot of players coming from the academy. Where at the moment, in, in senior football... You're just trying to get players in. Like the minute the season's over, everyone everyone's going to be ringing around players trying to get them in and be it West for choose players, or we have to go out maybe try and get a couple of players. And that's just the nature at the moment. But you'd like to have that academy structure in each club, good investment there, good facilities, infrastructure, and then it's just every year it's just players coming through the system, and and that will help a lot, I think, in the women's game as well here. both in the level we're playing at, but also in junior level and schoolboy and schoolgirl level
2: yeah i' don't, certainly most uh speeches you hear the de facto Minister for Sport Jack Chambers speaking about, he re- uh, often references their uh, commitment to the now uh, wrapped up 20 by 20 or 2020 movement as he calls it and uh, it would be good to see him engage obviously with the, the topics that we're talking about here and with people in the uh, WNL as well. Um, Tommy, before we let you away, uh, obviously the final weekend upcoming the FAI Cup final after that and given the conversation we've been having with you about the progression of Adlone, um over the last 12 months, like is it important to get over the line in one of those, or do you just see it as stepping stones, building for the future?
8: Obviously, look, when you're in all, any game you play, you want to win it, and um, I think it was the Damien that quoted there when, he, when when they got to the final, he said that he never really thought about it, now that they're in it, they want to win it, and we're no different, and we'd love to win it. Um, if we don't win it, it's not going to be the end of the world, because I think a lot of people out there never expected us to get this far, so, and ourselves included, look, we look for... People ask you, Yeah, you, you said you want a good cup run. What does that mean? Good cup run for us was getting to the semi-final because we never reached the semi-final phase. Now we're in the final. Um, no, the girls have been fantastic and I think, you know, we'll reflect on the season. You know, obviously when the season is over, if we win, it's fantastic. If we don't, it'll still be a very, very good season. And um, I think these girls, if the club can keep this bunch of players together and as Stephen said, add a few more, well then... <laughs> You know, these girls can achieve an awful lot over the next three or four years.
2: You're not extending Duffer's comments to be, a little old, a little old at loan, everybody hates us and we don't care.
8: No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Because look, in fairness, at loan are steeped in history and they are a big club. It's just, you know, the women's side of it has been just, is relatively new, as we said. I always had two and a half seasons because COVID was the first, you know, it was a short season and you know, what what we've achieved is fantastic, and
3: I'd love to uh, see you back Tom, on the men's I'd level, Tommy. I'd love to see at lawn, uh, back in the old days, so as good as you could be.
8: Yeah, look, look. I mean, I think it's 2013 when they got promoted under Roddy Collins that time, mm. and you know th- th- we've struggled ever since. And but in fairness to, to Dermot Lennon and, and Gordon Brecht, they came in there um, about three or four months ago, and they steadied the ship, and they got some very good results. Mm. And I I definitely would say next year, you know, it's it's, it's going to be a lot. Um, they're it's a, it's a going to be a lot more uh, harder to beat and, and better to watch. And you know, if 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 the two guys are in place next year, we don't know. Nobody knows yet. But uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the next two or three years, me own young fellas in the eleven, and all he talks about is that Lorn Town. So I'm going to see the glory days.
2: Yeah, very good. Well, listen, whatever way the chips fall over the next couple of days, lads. Thanks, for jumping on with us this morning, and best of luck
8: no problem Thank guys you. thanks
2: a million thanks a lot Tommy Hewitt at Lone time Manager and Stephen Quayne at Wexford Youths. and uh, what an interesting couple of days ahead and we'll have plenty more reactions to that as well uh, next week uh, Fergus Keogh in relation to our chat about Qatar Iran says our house might not be in order but it's a lot closer to being so than, um, than they are in Qatar uh, Okay, uh, Regatta Great Outdoors a reminder by the way at almost 9 o'clock on this Friday morning they're launching their brand new Freddie Flintoff uh, collection this autumn to celebrate it we've a 100 euro Regatta voucher to give away every day and one lucky winner is going to get that uh, souped up to a 500 euro voucher and to be in with the chance of winning simply like and retweet uh, our Regatta Great Outdoors social post on Twitter today you can see that graphic that was on screen there it's the one on our uh, Twitter feed and you can just check that out at Off The Ball remember shop the Freddie Flintoff collection in store at Regatta Regatta Great Outdoors are online at regatta.ie up next Alan Quinlan is going to be uh, joining us ahead of another interprovincial in the URC this weekend Munster against Ulster on Saturday evening before all of that Ronan Lagara with Nathan last night talking about twitch out half is winning the battle to be Johnny Sexton's understudy
4: what Andy Farrell and the provincial coaches can get out of them over the next year and and how quickly they can progress over the next year
9: yeah and and that's it's a, it's a fascinating question and a fascinating subject, and the fact that uh, yeah, John, Johnny is by far uh, the superior uh, totem in that position by a, by a long long way. But with the I suppose triangle of. Carberry, Frawley, Crowley it becomes very, very interesting and in the fact that it's nothing to do with a player issue what you need to be looking at here is the fact that seven minutes into a test game Johnny Sexton goes down unfortunately with, a, with, a, with an injury you have a triangle potentially of Carberry, Frawley, uh, Crowley to manage a game for 73 minutes because if Johnny goes down you don't have Crowley or Crowley together Frawley or Crowley together or Carberry or Crowley together, you have Johnny and one owner. So the onus is on essentially you've 10 backs to play 80 minutes, seven start and three come off the bench potentially. So you have your starter and someone to come in. So I think that's what the next 12 months is essentially intriguing um, for in that who will, who will take that role and how will they take that role and what role will they, will they, I suppose be given because uh, I talk about the examiner to tomorrow in the fact that um, you mean the November internationals. Yeah, is it winning the three games the be on and end? All, or is it actually how are we in better shape to be better for the next World Cup than we have been previous campaigns? Because insanity—the definition of insanity—is uh, doing the exact same things over and over again and expecting a different result. So I I use that in my coaching a lot, and I try to say it in French to boys, and they're looking at me going, what is this guy on about? Um, So from Ireland's point of view, um, who they find out in the November and Six Nations to be able to, because if you're looking at silverware, you need two in each position. I don't think we have two at the minute because Joey has unfortunately been injured, but for me, he definitely has the goods to to be a top-class 10.
2: That full piece, of Ronan is available uh, up on our website and up on our YouTube channel as well. It is nine o'clock. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTBM. Alan Quinlan. Good morning to you.
10: Morning, lads. How are you? flying at loads to get stuck
2: into including Jason Jenkins getting a recall for South Africa we'll get into that in a minute but first of all we wanted to touch on the RFU women's contracts that uh, the story that emerged this week and for people who've missed it uh, Ireland taking its first steps uh, major steps it should be said into full time professional rugby in the women's 15s game 29 players have accepted contracts which range from 15,000 euro to 30,000 euro and bonuses on top of that uh, some of that 29 um, accepted number were already on seventh contracts. Uh, eight players have turned on the offer. Four of those already contracted in England and you'd have to assume that the remaining four potentially later in their career, probably in good careers, paying more than 30 grand, never mind 15 grand. So that's the state of play. Uh, certainly a start and you have to commend that, Quinny. The 15K number, obviously, has come in for a lot of criticism. It's very low.
10: Yeah, it is low, but there has to be a starting point, Adrian. Um, you put everybody on 30,000 or, or more um, and it's it, it, it reminds me of when I started <clears throat> with, with contracts, with part-time contracts, full-time contracts, and some people actually turning down the opportunity to, to, to get a part-time contract. It's a really tricky one because, obviously, if you're an individual and you have to make a decision like that to leave a job or change career or go full-time at rugby, um, you think the money is the is, is the thing that's probably... Um, well it's a reality because if those players are moving to Dublin it's getting accommodation all that kind of stuff to travel but you could pick through it and start finding the negatives for sure but it's, it's I think it's it's a it's a real starting point and having it incentivized is and they have to start somewhere incentivizing it. Um, gives the players opportunities, obviously, if you were on the 15,000, that you could get up to the higher level based on performance. But um, very similar to when I started, it's a risk. It's a risk for the individuals. And I know some players, when we started, when I started in Munster in 1997, uh, they chose not to uh, take up contracts. They stayed in their jobs. Um, some of them never changed from that position and didn't play a lot for Munster, play, played a little bit in the earlier years. Um, but it wasn't there, it, it, it wasn't what they wanted to do. It's a very difficult one, Adrian, here, to come in and offer contracts 50, 60, 70,000 euro worth of contracts for 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 individuals because, you know, it has to be real too for the IRFU as regards um, the game generating a return as well. But Just I think it's a really good like starting point.
3: Where, where is rugby in the sense of, like, does it feel... Do the IRFU care enough about that, or do they feel that like the likes of Gaelic football and football are basically passing us by here in terms of women's sport?
10: Um, no, I think. Look, I think Johnny, it's a really good question, and the the last couple of years, I think obviously there's been a lot spoken about equality and uh, in the women's game and, and them getting more support, particularly in the rugby um getting more of a challenging domestic league improving that um uh, giving a um you know a good pathway for young girls coming through in the game as well and and the opportunities but it goes back to brass tax tax particularly in a professional game um you have to generate some sort of form of income as well and and at the moment commercially the women's game wouldn't generate uh, or balance the books if you like mm-hmm. so um, the IRFU have to and, and obviously with the independent review after the World Cup, there was lots of issues and I know a lot of those issues were based around the quality and um, the women feeling that uh, they, were, they needed more support and more of an emphasis on, on trying to grow the game the IRFU have taken action so um, out of that report and I think Kevin Potts has been really positive since he's come in as president, he's spoken David Nostafora has spoken about it and I think a lot of good stuff has happened. Is there still issues? Yes, around, um, you know, the domestic league is 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 the problem here and the pathway. Yeah, And it's very similar in Scotland and Wales because most of the Scottish players and most of the Welsh players play in England. Mm. So it's not as if we're the only ones that, that are struggling domestically uh, to generate the game. But it's a relatively new situation in the last couple of years where... The high performance level has increased and you know there's more viewers now watching the game, it's it's on TV more. Um so it's early part of the journey and there has to be some form of patience. I think the IFU admitted the mistakes they made, and I think they came out and they, you know, they're trying now, so they must be commended for that. I think even with these announcements and probably working with Gillian McDarby, who's the head of of women's performance. I think there'll be certain feedback they'll get, there'll be certain things that they can maybe do differently or change, but by and large, I think it's a very positive opportunity. And I'm not surprised that some some of the women haven't taken up the offers, particularly the ones in England, because it's a risk. Um, And it was a risk right at the very start when, when I was there because I remember, I, I know I'm referencing back to then, I remember guys who had jobs and were saying, I'm not giving up my mm. my job for 7500 a year and match fees. Who knows whether I get picked or not. I gave up my job because I was a, I was a mechanic and I was young and I wanted to be a professional rugby player. Rugby had only gone professional. So there's some similarities here to the structure and the situation and the uncertainty and maybe some of the nerves from some of the players and... Um, I do like the fact, and I think David Nuforura covered that as well yesterday that even if you don't take up a full time contract and you're still selected for Ireland, you will get win bonuses and match fees and stuff so there's a chance there that they can feel like they're 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 getting some money for playing the games as well and and a financial return mm. It's not going to be perfect at the start, but it's it's work in progress, and I think um I think it's more positive obviously you can pick holes in certain in that's, every situation that's, that's
2: my job Quinny that's uh, that's that's where I come no, into and you get to, you get to bat the back of me the the uh, you look at your hope obviously in terms of games and competitive games and it starts to bridge the gap ultimately between us and some of the Englands and France of this th- world. Th- I it's a very, th- very simple th- th- question
3: th- th- on this like how how easy is it is it to sell to a young girl rugby when like other sports are there like how easy is it and this is I think, I think the, first the same question th- arises for
2: I think it's the exact same question if you know if you're if you're yeah, if you're I think it's a hard sell for for
3: any kid at the moment exactly. in some respect. Exactly. So I'm like exactly. if if I'm if I'm an aspiring sports girl maybe I I don't want to play rugby, maybe I want to play um football hurling or camogie maybe I want to play soccer. I don't know. So I think you know it's it's not straightforward for the IRFU either just to throw money at it. I
2: don't think that that I think that's a boy or girl question to be honest from my experience. We we I want to move on to talk about a couple of other things. One of them being the uh, news this morning that Jason Jenkins is in the uh, South Africa squad um for their tour up here in the next few weeks Queenie we we keep touching on this every week that uh, Jason Jenkins continues <laughs> to rise and rise and rise and I know that uh, we've chatted about it before but Munster obviously uh, kicking themselves that they probably had a good idea the quality of this guy and injury obviously hampered him to a point but um, and it might not be that he gets into the 23 but another step up the uh, the rung for Jason Jenkins
10: yeah, it is, um, and it's no great surprise. I think, um, obviously, Jack Meen and Barron and Rasmus, Um and there's a bit of meta to their madness here um, that they're bringing someone into their squad who's obviously working with the vast majority of these players. And I know Rassi always is trying to think outside the box. Like that, can he get any uh, piece of information? Um, there's they're going to be meeting each other in a World Cup next year. Um, and also, he's played well. Jason Jenkins has played well. Um, obviously, you know, his progress in Munster wasn't just hampered; it was non-existent, really, because of of the injuries. And and that's just a bit of luck. They couldn't keep him. They had young seconders coming through. Leinster were looking for someone of that profile, a big physical player. And I think, you know, obviously, there's been a, lot, a fair bit of talk about. Um, adding a little bit more bulk, bulk to an already outstanding pack of forwards, So, um, he's done very well for him, but it's not a surprise because I think if you're Rassi Rass with your Jack Nienberg, you're thinking he's playing well, he's based in Ireland, he's working with these guys every day. What can we learn from him as well? Is, and, is it um, only but,
2: about that then, Quinny, as opposed to... No,
10: I think he's... I don't know. I, I He's played well. Um, let's be honest. He's, play, he's played really well and he's a very physical player and he's big. But I just think he's 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 bigger tests to come in Europe. When, when he goes in Europe and stuff like that, it's a bigger test. Um, I'm not entirely convinced at the moment that he's going to be unbelievable and he's this high ceiling uh, that's that can be brilliant. But that's not me saying that he's not this brilliant player. But I just think he needs to play more games. Mm-hmm. And if he can do it in your in, in Europe, big European game and uh, consistently, well then... He's he's the real deal. Um, he certainly has the potential because physically he's a specimen, and um, it's not so. It's not the only reason he's been called in to, to pick his brains because he's working with James Ryan and Caelan Doris and Porter and Burlum and these guys and even Dan Sheen throwing the ball into the lineup. No, he's he deserves to be there, but. Um, but it does no harm. It's, it's, a, it's a great help for them, really, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Just in terms of the games this weekend, uh, leinster Scarlets tonight, uh, Munster-Ulster, Tholman tomorrow evening and Connacht and the Ospreys later on that night. Just on the Munster, Munster-Ulster game particularly, um, after the Bulls game, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, and making something of a stand, I would say, for 60 minutes or more at the Aviva last weekend, how big of a staging post is it again now against Ulster? And uh, how important that Munster get the win?
10: Well goes without saying the importance of getting a win. They've won two out of six. Um, they're 10 points behind Ulster. So I know Dan McFarland won't want me saying this, but it's not a, the be-all and end-all of for, for Ulster winning. Um, it's a game away from home. They'll be disappointed um, what happened last week with the illness and stuff um, after a really good win the week before. So they've shown they can go on the road and they're improving all the time. Ulster, they've been brilliant this year. Um, obviously, they're going to miss a number of in their inter- their internationals as well, and a few injuries. And who knows what, what the effect of the illness last week will have them and the travel. But once they're down to the bare bones again, you know, they've more injuries from last week, as well as the internationals being away. Um, so it's, uh, John, John Klein, uh, is a, is a doubt. Thomas Ahern is a doubt. Um, They've, they've, you know, so many players away. There's talks that Simon Zebo, Mike Haley, be, might be back, which would bolster their back three options. But um, yeah, I think they can take a little bit out from last week. That was the concern going into the game that it would be a number of steps backwards. Um, they lack the quality at times to to hurt Leinster, but. They fired some shots, and I think people were pleased with that. Um, you say but,
3: people. What's the, what's the crowd like to say if if they lose to Ulster? Like, wh- where where is the crowd's patience in terms of the project?
10: Um, it's been tested at the la- start of the season, Johnny. But I think people are being realistic mm. when you see the quality out in the field, and you know, twenty one, twenty two players injured. Um, they don't have the same depth as 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 Leinster. will. very few have. Mm. Um, so there's patience there, but I think this becomes a serious enough situation if they lose tomorrow evening against Ulster because I think they're, they're, they it's, it's like a Champions League qualifications uh, scenario now for Munster. It isn't about winning trophies, it's about trying to get into that seventh eight position in the league come the end of the season. And, uh, it would be catastrophic if they didn't get into Europe. So, they've got to just start finding a way to win these games that their backs are against the wall and they're not helped by the injuries things that are going on Um, but this is this is one they've got to find some sort of a way against a very good Ulster side, squad as well um, who will be you know still con- pretty confident about but what they've got to go and do but I'm sure like Ulster
3: are liking the hierarchy of maybe being the second best team in Ireland and maybe shoving it in their faces as well a bit like
10: yeah, and they look they 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 beat they beat Munster so convincingly in, in, in um that quarterfinal clash back in in the end of May. So um yeah it's 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 a big game for both sides. I think um not we won't have teams till the afternoon, but Munster are definitely down to the bare bones again and they've just gotta find a way through this tough period. And um I think if they it's a bit different. You know, the expectation going to Dublin last week was totally different because you look at the team selections and stuff like that. But um, this one will be a bit more demanding. When you ask me about the fans' the patience, they they'll be a bit more demanding about getting a result at home tomorrow.
2: Uh, Connacht, after to the Ospreys, obviously in the back of the Scarlets game, could be a bit of a, a turning point for them as well.
10: Big, a big turning point. I thought they, you know, they were outstanding. Now, to be fair, Scarlets have been dreadful. Um, but they were there for the taking, and in Ulster are or, or kind of the way they started the game last week. Um, you can see that they've got a bit of zip in their performances again after a really tough start themselves, being on the road in South Africa, away to Ulster in the first game. Uh, but they're down in 14th, and they've they've won two out of out of six as well. Um, I, I think this is this is one now they have to go and make a statement over in, in Wales. They'll be missing their 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 Welsh internationals, is my understanding. Um, and Connacht are not as hampered. Obviously, Finney Bealum will be gone, Mac Hansen will be gone, Dave Heffernan. But other than that, um, they've they'll probably have the core group of of uh, of their team fairly settled. And uh, this is where they've got to start picking up wins on the road and push themselves up that table as well, because they're in a similar position. Andy Friend will be. Wanting to get into Europe as well and get up near those playoff positions after a really really difficult start.
2: Yeah, and I presume Leinster is barely. I mean, the Leinster kids is the only caveat possibly, but uh, straightforward enough against the Scarlets.
10: Um, yeah, I looked at the Scarlets team and it's, it's 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 stretched bare. There's a lot of young players in there as well. Um, it's probably the back line that looks. You know, there's a couple of young players in there from the academy. But their forward pack looks strong. If you look at Deegan, Penny, and Ruddock in the back row, Jenkins, Ross, Maloney—that's a, a, pretty serious back five that you can that that they can pick. Um, so yeah, you'd expect them to be able to go on the road there and get a result. But it's a little bit unknown with all the internationals away for both sides. And um, uh, Scarlets have been, you know, dreadful. Really, they've won one game out of six. So. Um, you think Leinster can go on the road there and get a result and should do and probably show us more examples of some of these young players that are coming through. Yeah.
2: All right. Enjoy the games over the weekend. Thanks, Quinny.
10: Cheers, lads. Thanks.
2: Cheers. Seventeen minutes past nine. You're watching o I brought the uh, two kids down to the Aviva last weekend. Johnny? Uh, what
10: was the crowd like in the end actually 40, over
2: 45,000 45, I know there's a lot of thousands. chat
3: about rugby crowds and Jerry Tornian on that yeah, so. that's a serious
2: yeah. number that mm-hmm. is a yeah. serious number um, There was we were sat three rows back from the front sort of central enough um, probably not the greatest sideways you need sideways uh, view for kids because otherwise if they can't see the ball pretty much all the time mm. they're just lost uh, but we were probably a bit low maybe a bit too low down we couldn't fully, fully see what was going on there was definitely and I would have been pro the Get a drink whenever you want. It doesn't matter. Come in, come out. Do what Not. you want. I would have been in that camp, but I have to say, jeez, I felt last Saturday almost in one game, changed my mind, on it was uh, yeah. it was pretty chronic. Yeah, just, like constantly people. There was there was at one point there was a lot of action. I think one of them maybe monster scored one of the tries down the far end, and a couple of people had been coming back from the bar with drinks, and they stood at the end of the row. So stood at the yeah. end of the row in the row, blocking the view of. 20 or 30 or 50 people behind them who couldn't see
3: it's, it's, it's it kind uh, of like it's very um, frustrating. My, I suppose my first experience with like um, beers as, as as sporting events was really uh, in the US, where it's quite it's fairly well suited to the NFL or baseball because so little is happening for yeah. much of the time. It's not in the case, and and, and like I, when I was in I was at the Longford Town going night game the other night, and like the um, strokes on Road venue could really do with like bar facilities and all that. But like what they do in Galway and other League of Ireland grounds is you have a bar and you have access to an area, but you you can't like just bring it to your seat and stop people from watching the game. Mm. I think it's an issue for rugby now like I have to say mm-hmm. if I go I'm a, I'm a fairly floating rugby fan I'm the same as all the other tourist rugby fans who has a beer and like probably disrupts but like it's a, I've, oh, as, yeah. as, a as a neutral I'd say it's not, or as a, as a hardcore fan I'd say it's a Why don't they grab one
2: at? of those mobile beer pumpers and just flash it out around like I mean you're not going to get a great pint of Guinness out of it but That's my accepted, kids accepted, through but,
3: college yeah. Yeah, it's the, the, yeah it's not it's not bad but like I mean I found the atmosphere at Ireland's uh, Six Nations games rubbish like really did I was like there's no crack here at all
2: so you're up in the corporate box, Johnny. Away from he actually the, wasn't, the, uh, but sure, it's all
3: rate. corporate boxes at these games. Like it's everyone uh, I don't has access. I'll tell you that. So yeah, <laughs> um, but no, I, I, it's good you brought that up. I think, um, I think it is an issue. Definitely,
2: a great day out, though, I must say. Brilliant day out. Two, uh, kids, two kids, loved it. They were did they like the yeah. face with chocolate? So it didn't really. Whatever was going on. What was the atmosphere like? That's good atmosphere. Like it's. Mm. It, uh, it being tight certainly helped. If it had been a bit tighter, it would have been a bit more raucous. So you, it does depend on what's going on at the pitch. Uh, but it was a good atmosphere. It's a perfect kickoff time for bringing a couple of kids to. I must yeah. say, quarter past five.
3: Is I just I, ideal. I actually have to. Say, I've gone to a few Leinster games at the RDS, and I really enjoy that. I think that's. I'd prefer that to the Aviva Stadium in terms of it's just kind of more old school and. Um, but again, lots of people having beers. Like it, was, it felt like everyone oh, was. Yeah.
2: <laughs> everyone it can, was. It can be a bit of a ruiner I must say. Um, uh, Twenty past nine. It is 0:30 uh, a.m. We're brought to you with. Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo you can sign up now or donate now at Movember.com here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio a course uh, across the course of the day half past ten it's going to be a live crappy quiz it's myself versus somebody else versus somebody else and I'm not going to win this has not happened yet, but I it's see very likely. The football kick off at uh, half past eleven this morning, and then from um, one o'clock it'll be Joe in conversation with Ruby Walsh. on o to be gold. Derry, the subject about Mount Rushmore at three. James, Cra- James, Jim Craig, uh, Lisbon Line, the subject of our well, team, 33. Uh, that, <laughs> League, uh, team. 33 James Craig, there. League team thirty three legend at four o'clock, and then o to be gold. Um, with Given Quinn, MacIntyre, all in conversation with Kevin Coban on our Irish football special, and that's from uh, six o'clock. So you can follow OTB across all of our social channels. Subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for the very best and the latest in uh, sports content. After the break, Ronan Mullins in studio, where we're going to be uh, chatting to Ronan ahead of Kelly Taylor's fight against Karen Carbahal. Back after these OTB AM Friday morning, OTB AM. Ronan Mullins, good morning to you. Hi lads, how's it going?
11: How's it going? All's well now. All's it's a well. hell of
3: a jumper. You like it, yeah? I do. It's, 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 it's woolly. And, uh, What's the end?
11: I think it's, it's some sort of cursory play at Michigan, the American Football University, but uh, I wouldn't be, like to be held to that, Adrian. Counter-ironic yeah. as well. No, as well it's definitely obviously. not a reminder of my initial, yet. I think <laughs> yeah. I, I don't need that on a Friday morning.
2: Uh, Katie Taylor is fighting at Wembley tomorrow night. She's up against Karen Karabahal, and all the belts are on the line.
11: Ronan, who is Karen Karabahal? Well, probably not overly known in this part of the world, given this is her fir- first fight outside her native Argentina, and put together a decent um, resume. If you're looking at the the numericals, 19 and 0, she's got uh, two knockouts in her last couple of fights. So, comes with a little bit of form, but it's all kind of you know relevant or relative to you know the caliber of opposition she's been fighting. And it's needless to say, she's taking a huge jump up in standard here, and that's why the odds are being borne out as such. Katie Taylor's and like an unbackable favorite in this fight, and she's had a few. Like, given that her like her CV is stacked with with big names and world title fights and unifications, and you know all these different weight categories and so on. Like, she has had a couple of these ones where, although she says, "I treat every opponent the same and I fight to a level of standard regardless of the opposition," we have seen that that can be difficult. When when a fighter comes to survive, Katie Taylor can't necessarily showcase what makes her such a standout star and that's why she went into the Serrano fight actually as an underdog because her previous uh, fights were quite underwhelming on her part relative to her standards and she showed that she can still turn it on when she's up against a top, top operator. So I'd be cautious that... This mightn't be vintage Katie Taylor like one of our greatest ever displays tomorrow but it's a means to an end because you know, the, the whole Crow Park notion is still on the horizon for next year. Mm. There's a million things to pick there, Ronan and we'll do that over the course of the
2: next seven or eight or ten minutes. What um, The one thing that did strike me was that the Serrano fight obviously there was so much made about it for the very obvious reasons and the quality of opposition is lesser here albeit a, a big obviously venue and all that What uh, this one really has came under the radar
11: it hasn't been a huge amount of chat about it at all almost. Yeah, so it's coming on six years almost exactly since she made her debut at this same arena, Wembley Arena, and you'll recall then that came a little bit off Broadway as well, it was post Rio 2016 and we weren't quite sure what Katie Taylor's second act was going to look like because Rio for all that it was and what's what's come to pass and come to light in the years since... It, her, it wasn't her best display either, mm. and we kind of thought maybe we've seen the best of Katie Taylor. And she did call um, call time in her amateur days. And professional boxing in the women's code, even six years ago, is unrecognisable to what it is now. And what she's managed to put together is is quite remarkable. So, you you look at it in that context that she's gone from like making her debut in the middle of a <coughs> excuse me in the middle of a not overly heralded card at Wembley Arena to topping the bill tomorrow you know speaks to the strides and it's off the back of a huge event in London a couple of weeks ago where Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall headlined so women's boxing has come on leaps and bounds but to be fair to your point relative to the pomp and circumstance which was around the Serrano fight I felt we were talking about that a month in advance yeah. and a month after I think there's just a sense that you know, this isn't quite that se- that kind of occasion, and we—it's a holding pattern essentially until we get one of those blockbuster fights next year.
2: Nothing is rel- nothing is comparable, is the point, and <laughs> that, yeah. uh, that is that is very fair. She was talking this week about saying our best, Katie, our best is yet to come. Um, when you, from a technical point of view, looking at looking back over the Serrano Sharapova the hand fights, is that
11: are they is that actual? Is she mean what she's saying, or is that just fight talk? It's funny, Adrian. It's funny because like any time I've covered these fights. I feel like I've written that exact headline about ten times. Is that right? The best is yet to come because, like, she's being sincere when she says it, and, like, the best is yet to come, it seems absurd to say for a 36-year-old that, you know, that's still ahead of her, but... Best is yet to come in terms of what she still brings to the table because she was saying that ahead of the Pursuit fights and those were blockbusters. She said it ahead of the Serrano fight and like many people had written her off ahead of that one because Serrano was the foreign fighter coming in and she produced possibly her career best display there. So I'm not writing her off in that sense. It's the subtext of, you know, I can, I can show up regardless of the opponent. I, I think there's enough body of proof that she does raise her game Dependent on the opposition, and I think that will be borne out tomorrow as well.
2: Can I ask you ask it a slightly different way? If, if so, she's six years into the professional game, which is still like pretty young. Is she getting better as a professional fighter?
11: Yeah. So, like, we would have spoken to Andy Lee and others in the early chapters of a professional career, and what would have been said was she was still segueing from that amateur style and trying to implement it in the professional game. People who remember ten years ago the London 2012 games possibly the first time many people would have seen her fight. It was that frenetic, in-and-out, bob-and-weave energy, which is a fast-paced sprint over a short distance, whereas, needless to say, professional boxing is different, segmented differently, and it's a longer distance. So to try and do that over you know, a 20-minute period is, is really difficult, and it's taken her possibly those couple of years to realise that I can do that in bursts, but not necessarily sustain. Mm. And I think that's where she settled into it. The second half of her career... Like If you take the Pursuun fights, for example, the first one, not to say she was found out, but like she did begin to gas towards the end and, and Pursuun kept coming. But then by the second fight, she'd managed to arrest many of those issues and tweaks. And similarly, in the Serrano fight, you look at round four, and it looked for all the world that she might be stopped there and then, but she still had enough in the tank to take over in the second half of the fight. So she's definitely built up a reserve that wasn't there in the early parts of her career, and I think that's why she's managed to put together such a such an impressive string of wins. Mm.
2: And you you mentioned as well the Croker stuff, and she let it. Sli- I don't know if she let it slip during the week, or was it just a uh, deliberate and maybe in some ways obvious thing to say about the Amanda two fight been
11: for mm. Croker and then been scuppered. Is that done now, or could we see that on the cards again? I'd say, there's, there's a very good chance those two will fight again, whether it's in Crow Park. I'm not sure. I remember speaking to. Jaron Owen after the Serrano one fight and thinking Katie Taylor's profile and the the context of the conversations around her at that time, where I got the impression she could fight anybody in Crow Park and sell it out, mm. might have might have to hold back on that slightly now. Thoughts I think the
3: living crisis and all yeah, this.
11: But I think that the Serrano fight is a surefire out I think Katie Taylor would pack a big crowd in any arena in Ireland, regardless of the opponent. But it what's a
3: sellout in Croker then for a boxing match?
11: Ooh it'd be in the realm of 80,000 I'm oh. not sure I'm not sure what the logistics are of um, what the what the guardie will actually allow in for a full event like he could possibly get a lot more than that in there but um, it
3: history, historic in, 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 yeah. in any event
11: yeah, it'd be an incredible occasion I saw one of the com lads making the point that she could probably shadow box in there and still sell it out. So um, that is a good point. And like maybe towards the end of it, if it was billed as like the
2: last ever fight sort of thing, almost yeah. that might mm. be uh, maybe a slightly unusual context, maybe to a fight for Katie Taylor, who constantly says she's getting better and the yeah. best is yet to come. But
11: uh, <laughs> What boxing has taken place in Park historically? Well, the Muhammad Ali one, famously. Um, Lou Lewis, was that it? Yeah. Mm. The documentary was made to that end, and he was doing a bit of a. A world tour, the world tour that Elvis never got to do, Mohammed Ali actually did do <laughs> and uh, took it round the houses. And you know, it's a very good documentary about it. So, wow. but it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be a huge um, cast of fights going back. Like the professional boxing scene in Ireland, needless to say, it's been um, accentuated in the last couple of years, the difficulties there. But it's never been a country like for all our history in the amateur code, it's not one that's necessarily taken off pro style. You had the mm. Steve Collins years where he great nights in Cork and obviously the Bernard Dunn years which would have been covered here on News Talk, and just, just probably the thing that got me into boxing in a big way was watching Bernard Dunn win world titles in Dublin so um, hopefully Katie Taylor can be the one, like there have been fights here, need to say, Eric Donovan won his European title a couple of weeks ago but those big ticket events where a stadium fight at the Aviva or Lansdowne Road, I think Katie Taylor's the one to bring all with her in that regard yeah um, one last one just on it was something you mentioned earlier on that uh, caught my interest
2: so Carvajal 32 year old Argentinian 19 and 0 as you said and um, I was kind of wondering about the style of this fight and how it plays out and what we might be able to expect but you were talking about I mean what I took Ronan I'm not going to lie was that she's going to be the big Sam here she's coming in to park the bus and uh, just try and get out of Dodge Marsh with some sort Sam. of a reasonable defeat there's no sense here that like you know this is a this is for her given her age profile as well it's the fight of a
11: lifetime she puts everything into it and yeah. there's potentially an upset or no well it's it's a shot to nothing for her um in, in that sense and marcus Maidana is her promoter and people might be familiar with him he fought floyd mayweather twice he fought amir Khan, so kind of a big personality banging the drum on her behalf but yeah i think it's a uh, it's a park the bus job as you as you termed it there, and that's sometimes where the Katie Taylor is a, a reflexive counter punching fighter in, in many ways, and you know likes to elicit attacks from her opponents and then make them pay by make them miss and make them pay. Whereas she, she doesn't often get those opportunities against these kinds of reclusive fighters almost. So that'd be the difficulty. As from an optical point of view, it mightn't be the the best fight, but you know it's it's Katie Taylor headlining a show at Wembley Arena, and she'll be keen to. Uh, like make a point and, and put on a display off the back of as I mentioned that that classic um, show with uh, Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall, where Clarissa Shields was basically copperfacing her stance that I'm the greatest woman's boxer of all time, and and Taylor would Be keen to restore her claim in that regard. I would say
3: never heard of reclusive fighter before. It's that's, that's got to be a little bit counter.
11: It's that kind of. Um that's the, that's the inside you come
2: like Homer Simpson like I'm just
3: <laughs> yeah. against Dredrick Tatum I'm just trying to Pressure trying to mates, not die man. here like just Pressure Homer's in the pub
2: yeah Ron a fair play thanks William thanks William we the appetite just nicely to uh, head at that fight for the weekend and we'll have plenty of uh, reaction to that as well uh, over the course of next week Johnny thanks William thanks Adrian enjoy that some morning what's the big plan for the weekend
3: uh, no plan yeah. um Cherryland Park on Sunday hopefully one more step towards the promised land of the Premier Division for Going. it's going Go to be you, a Glenn? big big crowd Longford Town second oh, leg yeah. so yeah um, if they're from Westmead you'd know so <laughs> the West Mead team be show limited thing.
2: options on that front as well listen thanks for million for coming in enjoyed thanks. your company over the last couple of hours it's 9.33 and uh, you've been watching r and brought to you with Gillette and association with Movember effortless shave magnificent moan you can sign up to, or donate now at com. back on Tuesday morning of bank holiday and Johnny you'll be back uh, with Shane in studio uh, we're going to be doing the Gillette Labs performance rankings I presume go away. thumping Longford 7-0 Will be uh, firmly in the green. Quinny is going to, to,
3: uh, uh, he going to be back.
2: To he heard going to be back to talk about the rugby, and uh, we're going to hear as well. It's Westmead Week, basically, is what we're doing. <laughs> and I'm not even here. Luke Lachlan is going to be in to talk about his story, which is an incredible one. And uh, he was one of the players that came out on the right side of the result that Ronan was talking about earlier on. Ronan Tool um, with the uh, Westmead County Final. We'll have much more as well.
0: Besides OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.